we never okay. done one, two, three claps with you guys? Yes, we have, but Sarah messed it up last time, too. <laughs> <laughs> I did, and uh, for some reason, I... I first Get wrecked, Sarah! I remember editing this and Sarah being like, I have all the best claps. That's my favorite <laughs> Sarah quote. Yes, that's right. I'm this is going to be on the damn intro to the show, isn't it? <laughs> Yay! Hello and welcome to Our Lost Podcast, brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Robin Jeffrey. I'm a 23-year-old actor and filmmaker from Alberta, Canada. I like brooding anti-heroes and feminist agendas, and I have way too much knowledge regarding details that no one else remembers. I run at The 100 Script on Twitter, and you can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey pretty much everywhere. And my name is Brittany Ray. I'm a 28-year-old writer and TV critic from beautiful post-apocalyptic Vancouver, BC. I like badass milfs and long naps. I'm on Twitter at Britannia, where I can be found attempting journalism and talking about my cat. And today we are joined by two guests. We are here with Sarah and Scott. Hello. Yay! You guys might remember them from previous episodes, but just in case they don't, um, do you guys want to introduce yourselves again? Sarah, let's start with you. All right, first. sure. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm 30 and I'm from the Bay Area in California. I'm a writer slash amateur pundit. And Chrissy Teigen follows me on Twitter. Just a little humble brag there. You know what? <laughs> and if you want to follow me too, you can follow me at some other metal, all one word. I also have a political account, and feel free to ask me if you'd like that one. But probably just better to keep fandom here. Fair enough. And I am Scott Taylor. I am 34. I am a journalism student that turned into a Zamboni driver. I am from. <laughs> A little town called Chilliwack, BC, about an hour away from Vancouver, and no one fun follows me on Twitter, <laughs> sadly. Except for you guys. We're awesome. Oh, I don't even think I follow you. I'm going to fix that. Fix that. Fix it. Brittany, who's the coolest person that follows you on Twitter? This is uh, like our roundabout fun fact somehow. Um, I'm going to say Henry Cusick, who plays Desmond, yeah. or Gordon Ramsay. Those are those are See, both those good are answers. solid. Those are very solid. Thank you. That, as far as I can like think, the coolest people in my opinion that follow me on Twitter are Todrick Hall and cool. Scott Hoying, who's like one of the singers in Pentatonix. I can't believe Todrick Hall follows you. Yeah, that one's pretty great. <laughs> that one's pretty. Good. A, yeah, but I got it in like kind of a terrible way, so. I kind of feel bad about that one. But. Tell the children <laughs> what you I, did. Okay, but nobody can, like, tell Todrick Hall that I did this or else he'll unfollow me. Okay, here's the story. So this was, like, literally years ago. I'm pretty sure he still follows me. Uh, I'll check, though. He was like, I will follow anybody who can prove that they bought my new album. And Robin's a Slytherin. And, no, he's not following me anymore. Never mind. He's not following me anymore. I think he must have. Anyway, the story is that he said that he would follow everybody who could prove that they bought his new album. I did not. I just took a random other girl's photo and then he followed me. Oh my god. You're an evil. Robin! I mean. I say whatever you gotta do. I guess you gotta respect the game, but. Okay, but Scott Hoying, I'm still good. You follow each other, says Twitter. Corbin Blue followed me for a bit and Louisa follows me. Louisa... Dolivera. Oh, yeah. From the 100. And uh, Andrea Gabriel, who we're talking to this week, who plays Nadia on Lost, she follows me. All right, well, if we're bragging, okay, everyone who follows me is, like, political. Oh, I have, if anyone listens to the Hellbent podcast, shout out for another podcast. It's political. 
and feminist. Go check it out. Uh, host of that is my friend, and Lauren Duca follows me, and Mira Tandon. Those are people no one else will ever I just get excited when someone like popular likes my tweets and I'm like, no, straight up, like, no. that's me though. I'm like, oh my no, god, no, that's still Gene like Gene Simmons liked what I wrote. My god, dude, wait, Gene Simmons, really? Ooh, uh, that was a moment. <laughs> that's pretty cool, yeah. dude. I had like that's my claim. I like flipped out from happiness when some intern from Comedy Central, because that's obviously who runs the opposition's <laughs> Twitter account, liked my tweets about the show. So I'm still very oh uncool. God. Yeah, no, like, if my favorite drag queen likes my tweets, I will, like, literally have, like, a full, like, screaming happiness thing. Oh, yeah, and you have to text someone, like, ah, look what happened. Oh, fully, yeah. Today, we have words to say about season one of Lost, because we're having a roundtable. We're going to talk about the whole season. Yay! And just so everyone knows, we will have a spoiler section. Oh, good. (laughs) Which is what I usually wait for. So, I figured the first thing we could do... Should I have gone back and listened to our mid-season roundtable to see what we talked no. about? Maybe. No, but did I? I didn't. No, I've never been more annoying in a podcast than during our <laughs> mid-season roundtable. I don't recommend it. So everyone go back and listen to how annoying Brady was. <laughs> wow. I highly doubt she was annoying, but I also That's harsh. do not remember. Oh, no. Like, I listened to it, and I was, like, in full. I was with my cousin and with my girlfriend, and they both bring out the most obnoxious, annoying side of me in, like, in like a way that they appreciate. But me listening to it, I was like, if I was listening to this and I didn't know me, I would want to punch me in the head. Oh, Brittany. <laughs> no, I'm being, like... It's That's funny, so guys. Hard. It's funny. It's okay. I can't relate. It's I never think that you're annoying, but... Okay, well, I'm definitely saving that. I have enjoyed every single episode you've done. Yes, exactly. Guys, that's too nice. (laughs) Um, So I figured the first thing we could talk about is some of our favorite episodes in season one. Obviously, my favorite episode in the entire series is Outlaws, Mm -hmm. so that's my favorite one. Gosh, can't imagine why. Uh, Yeah, what's Outlaws about, Robin? Get out of my head! (laughs) See, she, I, I roast Robin now, but in season two, she can roast me right back about my favorite, yeah. which happens to be a very obvious poll. So. Wait, what's your favorite in season two? I really, really love all the Kate stuff, so it's what Kate did. Oh, right. Oh, that's an amazing episode. And it's like, literally, the reason it's my favorite episode is because of Kate. I don't care about anything yeah. else really right then. It's just like, I no, want the eight backstory. So if you guys had to choose one favorite episode in season one, what would it be? Oh, someone else go uh, first. See, I don't want to pick. I did, out loud. I don't want to pick the obvious. I'm going to pick the one I watched again last night, which is Numbers. Oh, that's a good one. Great one. That's a good Great cut. One. I'm like, I hate to say walkabout. It, it just, it means so much to... Yeah. Because it's the obvious one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I, I, like, it's not, re- I don't know. I have, I, you talk about numbers and I'll, I'll, bu- I thought I'll bust in later. <laughs> you were done. Sorry. <laughs> well, see, I just, the thing with numbers is it, 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 it sets up so much of the show down yeah. the road, like how the yeah. numbers are, like the numbers really are lost. Like when you think about it, there's the man in black, there's Ben, there's everything else, but the numbers are such a big part of it. And I went back and watched it again last night and I was like, Oh my god, this just, it sets up so much stuff. It sets up Hurley, it sets up kind of what had gone on before, and everyone just kind of thought he was crazy about these numbers, but no, there was actually a guy before that, and before that, like, hell, the guy blew his brains out, it got to him so much, you know? 
That's like, what it makes it like super annoying. It's like my least favorite question because you meet people and they learn that you're the lost person. <laughs> well, at least they learn I'm the last person. And they say, oh, lost. Yeah, I think I watched like the first season of that. Hey, can I ask you a question about it? What what what, what did the numbers mean? <laughs> and I'm like, are you here to sit with me for an hour to talk about the numbers? Because the numbers mean everything. I know. It's... <laughs> And it's like, how do yeah, you explain what do the numbers mean? Because there are multiple exactly. layers. There's yeah. like the literal, well, they correspond to characters. And then there's deeper. and Yeah, they correspond to like almost three quarters of the oh, show. Yeah. And then like the more, and it, like the first time I had ever watched the show, like I never really picked up on like whenever they would say like, oh, he was in the hospital for four weeks or they were yeah. this. And, and it's just. That's when you like you know that they 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 knew what the hell they were doing almost the whole time when it's it's planted in like every other scene. Oh yeah, what I mean, like where there's the numbers again, there's it again, like not as obvious how like when Hurley's going to the airport and everyone almost like the soccer jersey scene and stuff. Yes, and that's why I feel okay with like having it tattooed on my body. Yeah, you know, it's like if I had to think of a lost tattoo that really encapsulates the whole show, I think that's a pretty good one. I agree. But like it also kind of just looks like a regular tattoo. Yeah, I would say that or like... That or what, Scott? Yeah, I've seen pictures. Exactly. Yeah, it looks awesome. Like, and I I like that you did the... um, the numbers like that's actually on the patch too yeah shout out to the guy who did the tattoo because i just asked for the numbers and he's the one who went on google and found the actual font oh nice that's awesome well because you you see so many ones that are done that are like the dharma initiative logos they some look really yeah it's it's really oh someone didn't know how to do lines really um intricate so sometimes it's hard but i once did the dharma logo for a jack-o'-lantern and i was proud oh, of it because it is cool. it was oh, cool shit. Hold i couldn't even do just the basics swamp. yeah i'm i'm my talent does not lie in artistry <laughs> so i can't carve like my no. my regular jack-o'-lanterns look pretty funky i haven't carved a jack-o'-lantern in years you don't do one every year well no because like i live in a that's sad i live in an apartment so it's like where am i gonna put it no same Brittany. Oh, well, I mean, I could, but then it rains, and then it rots, and then it's just this whole thing. <laughs> anyway, so numbers. Numbers. Number, numbers would be mine, because it's not the obvious one. I was going to say walkabout, but I'm like, no. I, yeah, I have a better one than walkabout. Like, walkabout is great, and I think in terms of, like, storytelling in season one, the, the, the device of revealing lost having been paralyzed is such... I mean, you watch it now, even knowing exactly what's going to happen, and it's still a gut punch. Yep. So mm-hmm. I, re- I really appreciate Walkabout, okay. but I think if I have to pick an episode, this is a really weird and a deep cut, but I'm going to go with In Translation. Okay. That's a good pick. And part okay. of it... Great ending. Part of it is because I think the moment where Hurley's CD player breaks down... Yep. Yes. is yep. literally yes. one of the best TV moments that has ever been broadcast. It's the yep. perfect song. It's the perfect moment. It's the perfect transition into a world where you don't have these montages with Hurley's. You know, it's it's just even an inner world way of changing up the dynamic and showing that the stakes have changed. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I, I really love the Sun and Jin flashbacks 
And I think the burning of the raft yeah. is so important, especially since we know Walt was originally meant to have more importance. And then, man, that's a case where it's like, it's nobody's fault, but casting that actor ended up really giving them all the shaft because he just, he looked too old too fast and they had to like move around it. But in terms of like the season one buildup for Walt, it's just so good. So good. It's such a good episode. What about you, Britt? I'm going to go with whatever the case may be. Ooh, nice choice. Okay, yeah, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just, it's the feeling I get from that episode, especially that opening scene with Sawyer and Kate where they have like that little bit of like happiness and then immediately punches yeah. right into the mystery. I love that kind of storytelling. I agree. And then like, I just love, like, I really have been enjoying Kate this whole rewatch. So... I just love diving into the mysteries of Kate and, you know, the mysteries of the island. I feel like it's just a really good, solid, very enjoyable episode. I agree. And it manages to, like, table set and kind of move the plot along in a way that's not annoying. You don't notice that they're kind of shuffling you through a few paces. And also, Evie is just Well, she was the first one that actually figured out Sawyer. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Oh, big time. Also, like, just a side note. They dropped the ball on her later on down the road so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. (laughs) That's spoiler section for stuff. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I I have, I love Kate Austin and, like, my Tumblr tag for her is literally the curious case of Kate Austin. (laughs) Like. Oh, that's cute. I desperately love her and I also have to ignore that sometimes the storyline jerks her around vague things. I was going to say to you, like, just as a side note, I want to give a huge shout out to Evie because I think especially a lot of people in the cast because, because a lot, you know, like very obviously there are some acting heavyweights and, you know, you've got Emerson and you've got Terry. And a lot of the time I think people notice their talent and write off Evie as because her storylines are often, you know, less meaty than say, uh, Locke or, or or even, you know, someone like Michael's early stuff, but she's Mm -hmm. such Mm -hmm. a good actress. She is everything they ask her to do. She 100% sells even in the, even in the pilot when she's sobbing in that like little, uh, grove of trees. Yeah. 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 You, that is a hard moment to sell, right? That extreme close-up. She's both like if she screw, if she didn't come off as genuine and raw, like even a little flaw in it, it wouldn't work. And she just you believe that she thinks she's gonna die. Yeah. And I, I just want to give a shout well, out. And this to was me. her first acting gig, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Her first big and one. And didn't yeah. she almost not get it? Yeah, because like her 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 work permit didn't go through right away yeah they yeah, like they just... had to had to like bump her stuff mm-hmm. back a couple days i thought so i thought there was some sort of immigration hold up she's a good old albertan girl yeah she actually graduated from the high school that's like 20 minutes from my house Oh, cool what really yeah yeah i found that out like after i watched the show the first time i was like what the hell she's from abbott like at like i'm in chilliwack abbotsford's like 15 minutes from my town and i was what? like she's from abbotsford she's and from abbotsford like, <laughs> She graduated from, from, um, was it FJ, FJ Mowat or whatever? 
Oh my she, god. So she grew up in Alberta and then she went to high school there? Yeah, and um, I guess they had, I've read this online that she was doing some job up in Kelowna and that's where they found her as well. Mm-hmm. Kelowna. Yeah, but she used to work at the Earls right across from where the mall was in Abbotsford. It's like, oh my god. I'm like, that's so, so random. She came out of nothing. Completely, and came out of nowhere. Like, like I thought I lived in nowhere land, <laughs> but my god. Yeah, her Wikipedia page says she was born in Fort Saskatchewan in Alberta and was raised in British Columbia she... and graduated from high school in Abbotsford. Oh, she yeah. was there born in Fort Saskatchewan? Yeah. yeah. That's wild. That's where she was born. Saskatchewan. I love that word. Um, my favorite, yeah, like I said, Outlaws is my favorite. I, I mean, I gushed all about it on that actual episode, but I mean, for the I never seen, the I ne- you could put the I never seen, and not narratively, but just in general, in any episode, and I would be like, that's my favorite episode, because <laughs> that's my favorite scene. Like, I it's, don't even care. That's how I feel about like Delicate, the- man. Yeah. What if you put that scene in Stranger in a Strange Land? Oof. Then the episode would be worth watching. Yeah. <laughs> what if you put it? What if you put it in freaking drown the baby? Oh, no. <laughs> Which I refuse to dignify with an episode name. It is the drown the baby episode. And that's the one I got suckered into doing next week Found it off and <laughs> and moaned about it. Oh no, I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna do you're, it. You're locked in now. <laughs> oh, I am. Gotta find something like interesting and poignant to say about. What what poor sap are you guys gonna get to do Stranger in a Strange Land? That's oh, the boy. question. It oh, might man. have to just be asked because no one will want to do it. And not me because I just went and sounded off on that. Um, yeah. Selena will want to do All it. Right. That's perfect. Yeah. Selena from Hypable loves Jack. But also just like the the twist at the end of that episode. Because um, he's in Australia and he like kills Frank Duckett and then it like turns out that he's not Sawyer. Yep. It's yeah. Oh, and that's it's gut wrenching. And Josh does such a good job. I also want to give a couple honorable mentions to the pilot to Deus Ex Machina. Oh yeah. Oh, agreed. Um, the pilot. Yeah. I would honestly say like there are a couple other shows where I, depending on the merits and own person, whatever someone's personal preference might be. I might say maybe I could see someone making a case that there are, like, better pilots, sure. But this yeah. is absolutely in the top five yeah. of TV pilots of all time. Yeah. Like, they have it together, and most pilots yeah. are a little scattered. And this one feels like a movie. Like, it it just does feel like a Hollywood movie. Does anyone here ever watch Luther? <gasps> oh, Idris. Yeah, I yeah, love Luther. I think Luther's pilot and Lost Pilot are two absolutely perfect pilots. I would agree, yeah. This is a weird, like, a weird one to make, and, like, no one but probably Claire, who I made watch this show, has seen it, but White Collar. You could say White Collar. I was gonna say White Collar has a. No, its pilot is so good. And that's such an underrated thing. And I, I honestly feel like that's another, just a check mark in terms of why is Lost one of the most important shows of all that's time. True. Like, it has all these things. Or Battlestars 33. Yeah, Battlestars. I mean, I guess, like, technically the miniseries is the pilot because it's four hours long yeah. and it's the first episode. But, like, 33 is wild, like widely hailed as Agreed. one of the finest episodes of television ever made. The Wire has a fantastic pilot, too, but I 
I don't know that oh, I would yeah. call it one of the best episodes of the show. And I'm even a Wire fan. So no shade to the Wire, but I think I think the pilot is is great, but not yeah. in their top five. I just I don't think they make pilots like Lost Pilot anymore. They really no, don't. No. no. The closest, well, not the closest, but the most recent one I've watched, like, of, like, current television, this is, like, where, like, my dad hat comes on, is This Is Us. <laughs> yes, oh my god, the This Is no, Us that pilot was pilot incredible. Was really, really good, and then at the very Huge end, twist. when you kind of see that, oh my god, oh no, we're kind of in, like, a time jump, like, yeah. I had to, like, I was like, oh my god, and then my wife was like, I don't get it, so I paused it, and I'm like, this is what's happening. So. Like, they did their you first flash else? forward this season. It was amazing. <laughs> I'm, like, I was so well, inspired by the pilot of This Is Us. I, like, tried to write a screenplay that had something to do with, like, what they did because it was amazing. I couldn't oh, do it. So I couldn't cool. figure I it out. I still need to watch that. Yeah, it's on my to-watch list. I, I am basically it's that so tweet good. where I don't. it went around a while ago. Like, I don't watch This Is Us, but based on y'all's ra- reactions, I'm guessing the dad dies every single week. <laughs> I am that tweet when this is us. It's almost like that, but like, even, like I don't, I, I don't know, I don't know many other guys that watch it. But my God, it's such a good show with really, really good writing. But it, it's so much like Lost, yeah. where it, like for like time jumping, it, yeah. it's it's back and forth like twenty times in an episode, and it's but it's well done. Where it's not like what the hell are yeah, they doing? It's really well done. It's really um, well done. Let's move on to some of our favorite characters. We're gonna talk a little bit more about character development um, later, but just like really quick. Call out some of your favorite characters. Brittany, you should go first. Katie. Well, don't put me first, because now I have to call out my favorite characters who aren't in later seasons. I know, right? I'm like, all my favorites come in later. Kate. Yeah. Kate, 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 Kate. 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 Yeah, Kate. And season one is great for her. Yeah. Yeah. Season one especially, like, I mourn the Kate that could have been. I agree. If Jack hadn't been a character. I, you know, just... Yes. This is this is a a little spoilery, so you'll probably want to cut it out for this section. But just commentary, and I'll probably talk maybe a little about this later. But it's like because I, I I rewatched along with Claire, so I saw yeah. I've very recently like rewatched the whole thing, and I I feel like Kate has like this middle period where it's almost like the character is forgive the pun lost, and then they lock in to the stuff with. <laughs> and to her feelings yeah. about and family and Kate gets it's different than the earlier Kate but it's good and it feels like it is perhaps a natural outgrowth and it gives her something to do that isn't ping-ponging around between various fictional dicks sorry to be yeah. crude about it but that's what it is <laughs> she, she's right she's crude but it, she's right it, it's it's completely true how it's just her to Jack to Sawyer and then, yeah, wow, Sarah, that's... That's basically what it is. It's like, and I feel bad for it. I, I really do think it comes back to Jack was supposed to die and Kate was supposed to be the lead. Yeah. Because if yeah. Jack is eating up her plot content, it's like Kate only shows up to be romantically, you know, torn and or judge somebody. Like, if the yeah. show wants someone to be like, you did bad, they call in Kate for <laughs> some reason for a whole bad. season. No, they call in me, and they, they call in me and Brittany. Which but doesn't even that work for Kate, because it's like, what is going Well, I wonder how much of that story they actually, like, just didn't rewrite and just, like, any of her, 
like high intensity plot stuff. They just when they decided that Jack wasn't gonna die, they just gave to him. Oh, I, I feel like it's like, a lot. It, like I yeah. feel like yeah, like where they just they didn't say hey, shit, let's rewrite this. Let's just well everything can just go to Matthew yep. Fox and Evie can just stand there and look pretty. Yeah, you know what I mean. Instead of actually rewriting it, this is like more my personal theory, but. We do know that Saeed was meant to play a larger role. Yeah. Like it was meant to be more of a Kate Saeed leader team. So the yeah. thing I always kind of think about Jack is like, there's a place where it feels like he's pushed into a place where he's like the tactical war leader and he's supposed to be the emotional heart. And if you step backwards, that feels like it's shoving what Kate and Saeed were meant to do as a duo into yeah. just Jack, and I think that's where you get some fracturing of the character and Jack just swinging between poles and, like, good with people, bad with people, dick. Nice. You know, like, it... and Because Saeed is a tactical genius, so it makes yeah. sense that he would be making up war plans. It makes sense that he would be planning attacks, whereas you're like, why is anyone letting the doctor tell them where to shoot? <laughs> like, why does Jack get to make the plan? Jack's plans are exactly. terrible. Jack's a doctor. Why in the hell does that mean that he gets to be the leader? Exactly. And it, He's also yeah. one of those guys that as soon as anyone voices a different opinion, he gets pissed yeah, off, yeah, says, no, I, I, we're not going to do it like that. Like, you're going to come to the case. Well, no, I'm not. Well, screw you. That's what you're going to exactly. do. No, you're a doctor. That doesn't mean shit. It's, you know what I ironically, mean? Ironically, there's a really good moment early in season one, and I think I actually commented on this. It's in one of the episodes I did where... It's the episode where Saeed explains why smoke signals won't work to Boone. Yeah, yeah, I think that mm -hmm. was and, Larissa. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the one. So, uh, so basically, you have these two moments of leadership in the episode where Jack is snappish and doesn't... Yeah. He just doesn't tell anyone things and he expects people to do what he says, which, if you're a surgeon, that's actually a very logical character outgrowth. You are in charge in an operating room. If someone doesn't hand you something right away without questioning you, people could die. So it, I'm not saying it's, like, bad or it doesn't make sense for Jack, but it doesn't make sense to me that people turn to him for emotional comfort and then for, like, the more tactical plans when it feels like... They're more qualified characters. Exactly. And it, it so it's... It, Kate Locke. And, it, and you also yep. see, like, Kate... It, you see it kind of almost like pop up and then go back down where Kate has people's trust. Who do we want to give the gun to? Give it to Kate. Everybody likes Kate. Nobody thinks Kate would shoot anyone. Yeah. So you get the idea that Kate's supposed to be the heart and Kate's supposed to be the one who keeps them going, popping in and out. But when Jack either needs to lead or needs to be emotion the emotional beating heart... It's like Kate and Saeed either get shoved away and off screen or are somehow acting in ways that don't quite feel right because Jack has to take their place in the story. So I think you totally nailed it. Like, I think they literally copy-pasted some stuff. Right. Yeah. Not that, like the exact lines, but the point of like, okay, Kate is being the emotional leader. Saeed's the tactical leader. Well, crap, we're not killing off the white guy, so I guess <laughs> we'll just make him both. I've never thought about it like that, just because, like, I like I remember hearing that, well, yeah. Jack was actually supposed to die the first episode, but I've never actually thought later on down the road, like, oh, crap, so did they actually rewrite anything for him, or did they just take away 
all the plots for everyone else and just pawn it off on his character, not pawn it off on his character, but mm-hmm. just make it all yeah. of his and then split the difference with maybe Locke and stuff like that, but at least he was going into another direction. I think it's like a mix too, but I've noticed it gets worse when Jack needs to be super plot relevant. Yeah. Like you can see there's, they have, you know, the side stuff where Kate can really be Kate and Saeed can really be Saeed. But then once you bring Saeed, this is a really weird comparison, but it's almost like the way the staff on the hundred dealt with not wanting to have, like, Bellamy and Lexa versus, you know, each other for Clark's affections. Like, Yeah, you write around something so much that you create a glaring hole. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like when Clark is with Lexa, Bellamy doesn't exist. When Clark is with Bellamy, Lexa doesn't exist. Like, yeah. So you have that same thing with almost the Jack and uh, Kate and Saeed of it all, where if Jack needs to do one of the plot tent poles that I think pretty clearly belong to Saeed or Kate, you have Saeed or Kate needing to be either off screen or not acting in a way that feels organic so Jack can have that moment. Or they act as like antagonists yeah. to him where like, I feel like so much of Kate's role. Exactly. You. That's why you get Kate popping up to be like, yeah. no, I disagree. I don't know why I disagree. I'm just going to argue here. Well, even she doesn't even really give him give him well. Sorry, give him hell when he screws her over on carrying the dynamite in. Is that part Ugh, three at Exodus yeah. or part, part two? Yeah, like what a dick guys. move! Like, come Dude. on! Like, like I get oh, I had a crush on you. I don't want you to blow up and shit. But like, it's just a dick move. It just yeah. makes her look weak and powerless, and you don't need to do that kind that's, of stuff. That's something I find that like really does grate at my nerves, especially. It's not as bad a little bit later on, although, except for with Charlie and Claire, where I just want to be like, dude, she's yeah. not the baby. You need to stop trying <laughs> to control the her. Baby. They dropped the ball in season two on Charlie, but yeah. they picked it back up in season three. Oh, yeah. No, totally. But I with, with, like, Kate and Jack, he has this assumed, this way of treating her. Where he acts... Like she's a child. And also, like, he assumes a level of, like, ownership and ability to judge her actions, especially when it comes to, like, she's flirting with Sawyer. And it's like, Jack, she's not your island girlfriend. If you want to be island monogamous, stop dancing around like a 14-year-old boy and say, Kate, I'm into you. If you're into Sawyer... We need to figure that out because this isn't working for me. And instead, he acts like your stereotypical jealous boyfriend when they're not even dating. And yep. the show never quite smacks him on the nose for it. Like, you're, we're supposed to almost, like, empathize with him and feel like, well, of course he feels hurt because he likes Kate, but Kate might not like him. And especially, like, it was bad a year or two ago but in the Me Too era, I just been like, no, you don't own her. You have no say over her life, and the way you treat her is terrible. Well, it's like I remember a scene, and I, I want to say it's when they're wrestling back and forth, and she steals that airplane back mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just gives her this, just like, look at me like, don't, like, don't lie Oh to me. my god. Oh my god. And it's like, are you being totally honest, Jack? And I just... I just want to look at him and just be like, shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, 
when are you, since when are you, like, the beacon of... Thank you! Like, everyone on this island. Like, I'm sorry, you ratted your dad out and ended his career because she stole a little friggin' toy airplane out of your hands. Like, you're like, oh, don't lie to me, my heart is broken. Like, shut up! Like, I, 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 I think that's the scene, but I'm, no, I, know exactly I can just what picture his, like... His, like, don't talk to me face. Oh, I think, are you talking about when she took the key out of the wallet and then tried to tell him that there was no key? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's what it is. When they dig up, when when they dig up, yes, that's what it and was. That's what, Thank you. Yeah, you totally nailed it. That's what I mean about, like, the assumed level of he can judge Ownership. her choices, he can own, like, she owes him that truth. And it's like, dude, yes. ask her if you want to know ask her don't treat her like she's an asshole for not telling you her deepest secrets when uh hey you haven't told her yours and the show treats her like an asshole too no that's my and that's my problem i could deal with jack a lot better when he gets like i i found that jack i like him a lot more when the romance stuff isn't going on and then as soon as it's romantic I just want to beat my head against the wall. I like Jack when Jack is with Locke. Yes. Yes, Jack and, and Locke Sawyer. Are so much yeah. I often like Jack and Sawyer when they're not yeah. like measuring it over Kate. Yeah. yeah. Um, I gotta, I gotta move us, let it move us along. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Scott, who are a couple of your favorite characters from season one? Yes. Uh, let's. I'm gonna call season one Charlie yeah. because yeah. A- yeah. A- after season one, it kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Hurley, because yes. who, who can't love the, the, the chubby happy guy. True. So, and then I'm going to say John Locke. Yeah. That's yeah, the yeah. obvious one. Just because he's the one that kind of starts showing us, like, what the hell's with this island? Like, how the hell did he show up in a wheelchair and start wiggling his toes? And he also gives the, there's that, the one scene of one side is light, one side is dark, hey, and that sets up yes. between that and the numbers... That sets up the whole damn show yeah. right oh, there. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it kind of does. It Season one sets up most of the show. Like, if season six, was, six wasn't so bad, it would have lined it up okay. a little bit better. See, here's my thing. I'm a season six defender. Yeah, and having like, just sec- watched it again. The second half of season six. Okay, yeah. They're, yeah, I can get on board that. Yeah, it's. I think season six is one of those things of, like, I, I think the pacing is a little strange, especially because, like, big deaths happen and then you don't really have time to breathe. But other than the pacing, I think especially in retrospect, season six plays back much better. But uh, the thing I was going to say about Locke, too, is, and this is where I think the show does really well, the show's not saying that John Locke is a healthy man, nor that we are supposed to support these choices. The show lets Locke exist in this very sort of gray emotional space Mm -hmm. where he's not a bad guy, but a lot of the stuff he does is, uh, we find out, self-serving and has to do with his deep insecurities and his need to be special and important. Mm -hmm. But, like, I just love how the show, it doesn't support him or judge him. It just lays out who this guy is and why he is the way he is and lets you kind of handle how you feel about it. Yeah, I feel like they established Locke's morally gray plotline a lot better than they did, like, whether or not, you know, you were supposed to empathize with uh, Kate in terms of the Jack situation. Like, 
everything that's right with Locke is what went wrong with Kate. I agree. Um, yeah. Brittany, what are some of, have you thought of some of your favorite season one characters? Oh, yeah, Saeed. Yes. I think Saeed is Mine, uh, for the people who we haven't talked about yet, I'm going to uh, bring up Sawyer. And I'm going to bring up Sun and Jin as Shocker. well. You know what? I'm going to buck tradition here, too. And I'm going to say Michael. Yeah. 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 He really changed a lot over season yeah, one. And, and, like, and obviously for the better, too. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah I think, and the actor, uh, I, I can't pronounce his last name, but Harold. Perrineau. Perrineau? Perrineau, that's it. He is so good. He, everything, like, some of the stuff they give Michael ends up landing, unfortunately, on a little bit of the stereotype of the absent black father. Yeah. Yeah, it but does. But Harold yeah. takes what could be really kind of rote material that is thematically problematic and makes it so, like, even when you're mad at Michael, you understand Michael. That's and in true. the back of your yeah. head, you're like... I mean, uh, but also, oh man, your life's pretty hard, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I felt for him because, right? like, you can obviously, like, he wanted to be there. He never wanted Walt to be taken away or for them to move. And like, he, he wasn't gonna be that stereotypical. He wanted to be exactly. there. He wanted to fight, yeah. but like, his bag of an ex-wife or girlfriend was like, well, I have the money, you don't, so this is what's going to happen, and good luck fighting for it. Like, I felt horrible for him. And all, like, he didn't know that Walt wasn't getting all those letters for all those years. Exactly. exactly. And it's like... Like, she is a terrible person. I feel... So, and, like, terrible. the thing is for her, too, is, like, I feel like it's... I like how it's a realistic thing of, like, she's not a monster. She's not trying to be selfish but it is this thing of power and also yeah this is my life and this is what i want and this is how i'm doing it yeah. and it, it's very much doesn't take what am i doing to michael which you could say perhaps from her perspective feels fair yeah if 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 susan was one of the protagonists we'd be I don't think we would be saying Michael's garbage but we would understand on susan's side exactly we would know more about her yeah but I like that it's not, she's being selfish, but in a way that feels not comic booky backstory terrible. Just like, because people can, I, I, found, I, my theory on humanity, since this is lost, I guess this works here, is I don't think people are good or bad. I think we are intrinsically pretty selfish. And we have the capability to be good or bad and to either overcome that selfishness and and notice others and try to both get what we need while not doing it in the ways that cause the least upset and harm to the people around us. But, you know, they, it, it, it's just, it's, I like that the simple ways in which she's selfish both make sense for a person who is pursuing a job and, you know, has her own life, but isn't thinking about the ways in which that is going to harm her son and the father of her son. And then holding back the letters is so terrible. And I, I personally want to blame her new husband. Brian. Like, in my heart... I think he's the reason that happened because the kind of man who would not only turn his back on a child, but say the stuff that he says about Walt, 
I feel like he would be the, the, the person who would be saying, let's not. But then also it's her fault for not putting her foot down and saying, no, this is his father. And he deserves to hear from him. I think that that was her decision. I think that she kept the letters from him. Exactly. And it is her. So it's like. Yeah. And it's like, that's a terrible thing to do. And ironically, and I think this is, you know, in a very Lostian way, both heartbreaking and perfect, finding out about those hidden letters and about what about, you know, Walt's stepfather not wanting him and saying he's, you know, creepy and terrible and it's his fault. It's Walt's own fault he's not wanted. Michael's first real act of fatherhood is to conceal that. Because if you love your kid, it is is better to let your child be angry with you than to damage them on that level because that would damage Walt. That is not something you put on a child. See, and that's why I think the argument should be made that she's the one who withheld the letters and was an inherently selfish person because because of that decision. Oh, I think she, I think it would have been her call, yeah. But, like, in my heart, I want to think that the, the stepfather was, like, pushed for that. But, like, it, it comes down to her own selfishness. And I think also, and this is just, you know, spitballing since we barely see her, but... Especially if she still has complicated feelings for Michael, it's easy to avoid stuff you don't want to deal with. It's right. easy to just put yeah. it off into a corner and think, I'll handle it later, I'll talk with it later, I'll do this later. And then there is no later. And it's, I, I, ah, oh, that's terrible. I feel so but, bad for Michael. Like, everything yeah. is terrible for him. But props to Michael. The best, the second best thing that he did. No, what, what was the step? My mind's going blank right now. Stepdad's name was Brian. Yeah, there you Brian go. Brian was. Hey, Brian's a Brian's a dick. But you know what? Brian wanted you to have his dog. Let's take <laughs> yeah. that. That is awesome was... because that would be like one of the best ways of getting back. Oh yeah. Life. Like you could come in and steal my entire hockey collection, whatever. You take my dog. Right. I'm coming yeah. after you. <laughs> right. Like. And then we just have John Wick. I would rather come home to find that someone had stolen like all my computer equipment and our TV. Yeah. And, like all my books and my cat. <laughs> like take that. Oh, Leave my 100%, cat. Hundred like... percent. You take all my money, but if you touch Maddie, I'm <laughs> done. Right. No. Exactly. <laughs> And I think that like, is... That is my child. And I think that's important with Michael, too, especially in the ways in which the vaguest outlines can trend into stereotype, is we never doubt that Michael loves Walt more than anything. The, yeah. We, we see the ways in which he is not prepared to be a parent, or he's not used to being a parent, or there's a little bit of background oh, resentment because he was forced to give up that right, and now his life is this, and Walt's mad at him, and it's not fair. But also, he just, he loves Walt. I think it's important that the first experiences he has in parenting are doing exactly what a good parent would do. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that they establish that. That Michael may not be practiced at the day-to-daying of being a father, but he wants it. And he's intrinsically suited to it. And he's willing to learn. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that, like, I really like about Michael is even though he's very stubborn, throughout the whole season, he does nothing but learn. Exactly. 
even like not even just with Walt, but with everyone else. Like, look at where he and Jin were, and look at where they oh, wound I love up. Love that on a raft together. <laughs> they went on a va- sharing watches. Yeah, they went on a vacation. Yes. So we've gotten two questions in. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna make us um, shorten our answers a little bit. <laughs> all right. So we can get through all of these. Um, so the next one we have is favorite flashbacks. So um, I'm gonna give it up to the Deus Ex Machina flashback for me um, with Locke and, and Anthony Cooper. Yeah. That's Kay. gonna be my number one thoughts. Anybody else? I'm gonna do Kate and the robbery. Just because yeah. I love, that is a great piece of genre filmmaking right there. Yeah. It felt like a Western. Well, and then her big live, I don't know how to use a gun. Yeah. <laughs> I love She's such you, a legend. Baby. I know. What about you, Britt? Um, Hurley in the airport. Good one. Good one. Yes. Everything about it is relatable. Well, especially him walking onto the plane with Walt and the car. Yes. Yeah. Everything from there, like just, oh, it, it fits together so well and it's just, quintessential loss yes and like Agreed. the whole thing even at the end of exodus part three with like jacchino's music over top and just like all of them coming onto the plane i love that crap i, I cried too. re-watching that what about you what do you think what's your favorite you know what i i you you guys kind of took my hurley one i don't <laughs> want to be the obvious one and and and, and do it and, do and it be obvious walk walk about john Locke sitting in that yep. office yep. yes because yep. and like the first time like when they're that whole scene leads up i'm sitting there like oh he's got to have cancer or something like that it's going to be something obvious holy yep. and he's in a wheelchair yeah what the hell is going on you know that that's the flashback that makes yeah agreed that was what got me in this show no one wants to say that their favorite flashback is boone and shannon being incestuous <laughs> oh my god, you're not allowed to be on this podcast it's technically your podcast, you can go. Okay. Oh god, I mean, it's not to be that person, but technically it's not incest, because yeah. they're not, like, blood relations, but it is rather funny. Just, <laughs> true, true. It's just... If you have to say technically it's not incest, you're already in muddy water. (laughs) Anytime you have to start adding caveats to why something isn't incest, probably it's incest. When you have to quote, use the quotes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, actually. (laughs) If you guys go to the same family reunion, it's true. There you go. There you go. Perfectly summarized. Although, you guys, on that level... Clueless is a really creepy movie, and I'm not ready Stop. to let go of Josh Don't ruin- and Cher as the perfect couple, so I'm just gonna la 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 over that mentally. <laughs> you know, you have to go and ruin things like that. I'm sorry. Okay, what did but you guys right. ship during season one? What'd you ship? I guess Charlie and Claire. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm, like, definitely guilty of, like, Sawyer and Kate, because I loved yeah. their... their Same. Their back and forth is irresistible. This to me. is my first like real watch where I'm actually able to be like, Robin. I know this is your number one ship, but like it's got some issues. It really does. Yes. But yeah. but and I've said it before. I know that that it has its problems, and it's not like the most feminist ship in the entire world. But I can't let it go. It's got the nostalgia factor for me. It's been well, like no, you're eight to... years, and I, it's always been my number one. So no, like legit though. And like here's my thing: is like I just on a you know shipping tangent, I ship like hella problematic stuff. Like I ship Charles Pike and like the entire cast right. of the hundred. So 
But I, I, th- I, I personally don't think you need to apologize for shipping something that's not the most feminist ship, especially if it's older. Like, yes, all yeah. I think anyone needs to do is be like, yeah, this has mad problematic aspects, but I still like the good stuff. Yeah. Who's team Shannon Saeed? I, no. I, <laughs> here's my thing. I did not like them. When it was first airing. I was a Shannon defender in the sense that, like, for some reason I get this very, like, nah, screw you, I'm gonna argue with you response whenever people hate a character. Somehow that makes them, if they're at all interesting, my favorite. Yeah, that's me with Shannon. Yeah, But with Shannon, I think Shannon improves a lot if you step back and you look at the totality of who she is and what she's been through and being told that all that matters are her looks and the only thing she's good for. Which which comes more into play next season when she gets her like big episode. Yeah, exactly. And it's also I personally and this is this is based on some stuff like Maggie said and then just some like, you know, making the show more interesting for me is they hint around Shannon having food issues. Yeah. And having, like, some sort of either recovering from an eating disorder or at least having extremely disordered eating. And if you think of Shannon in part as a recovering, you know, ED patient who has all these body issues, it makes it more poignant. And it also makes it really cool that she makes this connection to somebody because of her brain. Saeed has, like, he thinks she's pretty, but... That's not why he likes her. Yeah. And when you process Shannon and Saeed through the connections that they're making together, it gets better. But I also like, I feel, I almost do feel like Kate and Saeed were meant to be. Yes. Because they drop the Kate and, like, Kate and Saeed flirt until about like a third through the season yeah. and then all of a sudden Saeed and Shannon are flirting and I feel like they just switched gears and threw Shannon at him because she was the only viable char- female character that wasn't already paired off. Right. So I can make it work for myself but it will never feel quite organic to me. Yeah. 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 When you think about it, Kate and Saeed are not essentially, but they're so close together that the same kind of person. I ship Kate and Saeed wildly. Yeah. Like, they were my big ship early on, and I was always so sad that they never, ever, like, they just dropped it like a hot potato, never went anywhere. Yep. Also, shout out to uh, uh, Hurley, or sorry, I did like Hurley Charlie, but that was more of a. There was a kind of platonic-y ship community. Uh-huh. It was, it's a long story, but I, uh, not Hurley, um, Sawyer Jack. Oh, your Sawyer Jack Aaron. works for me. <laughs> no, I was about to say, honestly, Aaron's whole thing about how if you watch the show through the filter of Jack having a bunch of internalized homophobia from the era he grew up in and from his dad's manliness lessons what? and being wicked into Sawyer and not able to deal with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It makes the show so much better. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, okay. So much better. 
much of his competition with Sawyer becomes less about like a love triangle and exactly. more about exactly. It has it has more, showing off. Yeah, it has more interest to it than oh, here's two dudes fighting over a girl again. Agreed. And it's also like not for nothing, but like Lost did great on racial diversity, but yes. Not so good on showing anybody who isn't a cis straight person. Yeah. So, like, especially when you think about it through the way TV gets produced today, I feel like we could actually stand a chance of seeing a Jack and a Sawyer kind of relationship that was like oh that. Oh, my it feels gosh. Much better. That just changed my life thinking about if Lost was made now. First of all, I Dude. Mean, obviously everything would change, but, like, wow. Like, that would be right. Amazing. Like, this is this is the conundrum with Lost that kills me, is that the ways in which Lost falls short could only be corrected by having seen Lost first and living in an era of post-Lost TV. Right. And it's kind of like yep. how, like, this is, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this in the spoiler section, but I think, ironically, there's this thing with fans where... If you started day one and you weren't like a, if you weren't super into the mystery, like if the mystery was your jam, this might be different. But like if you started in season one and you watched to the end, like runtime, and then you never rewatched, there's almost a universal opinion that the show got so much worse as it got went on. And then also it was too confusing. Yeah, can't and relate. It was just Super can't so relate. confusing. It was so whatever. Yeah, that's pretty much what I hear from everybody. Yep. And I think that's the same function of before Lost, nobody knew how to process Lost. So Lost isn't all that confusing in a world where like you have to remember twenty seven Lannisters and fifty seven <laughs> Starks and you know where's no, Major Not even get into that show and how confusing the damn thing is. Exactly. So like I these quit days, that so long ago. we remember casts of thousands and all this history and all this information about our shows, but before Lost, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. Yep. So in order to appreciate Lost fully. You have to have already seen Lost, <laughs> which means that people you're completely true. Yeah. People who watched and then never watched again, I find, have a very strange impression of the show. Yeah. Like, my favorite show before this was Prison Break. Yeah. I watched it once the full way through and got it completely. Never found it confusing. Yeah. Never had to sit there and go, well, why the hell did they do this? Or how did this happen? Like, it was just... Yep. It, it was very simply put, where now... After watching Lost, it screwed me up for television, where I have to sit there and go, okay, there's three lamps in the background. Why is there three lamps in the background? <laughs> like, like I just finished watching The Leftovers, and like I've oh my God. three months to watch it, and that is as slow as I have ever watched a show. And I just sat there just like going, okay, well, what, why, why, why Orphan are they showing Black, this? man. Okay, you got to watch Orphan Black. Yeah. I figured out an yeah. answer to a mystery they solved in season four based on artwork in a kitchen in season one. I have a leftovers yeah, anecdote though. I met uh, Damon Lindelof do. and he was like just showing some things from season two in a conference that I was invited to and I was so excited and I cried. But I knew that I was meeting him and I knew he was talking about the leftovers. So I binged all of the leftovers in two weeks, the first Ew. two seasons. And when I told him that, I said, yes, I just binged it, like, so that I could come here and, like, not be spoiled or, or anything and, like, talk to you about it. And he said, you shouldn't do that. 
she was like, "You're not supposed to." The watch only it reason like that. I took so long was because of my kid. You should. But normally, like the first time I watched Lost, I watched it in a month and a half. Yeah. Like that's disgusting. You know what I mean? But yeah. Yeah. No, Lost has completely changed like how I watch how I watch a television show. Like hell, even This Is Us. Yeah. Which is like mom and dad drama, but it's. Watch this. Why are they showing us the crock pot? Exactly. Find out why they showed us a damn crock pot. No! And it's like, this is, I always say that Lost is a writer's show by writers for writers. Like, it's a show that rewards you for thinking like a writer in the same sense of like, if you're a casuals viewer, you're not, and I've heard about the crock pot, so I know what you're talking about. That's a Chekhov's gun. That's an old school writing technique. And I think Lost trains people who aren't writers in some to ways think like to writers. think yep. like writers in terms yep. of watching and consuming media. Yeah. Which I think is why TV is kind of so fun now. I agree. Because we get oh, to do completely. these things and everyone's in on it. So, like, you'll see, like, BuzzFeed articles. And there's a higher bar, too. Yeah. Talking about, like, you know, what does this clue mean? Yeah. And some people think, like... Especially the writers of, I'm going to, like, say Westworld. They got really mad. Oh, my God. I was about to throw shade at them. <laughs> no, they about they, to be like, oh, shit. Yeah, they got really mad because people kept figuring out their plot lines. And I'm like, you don't understand. It's fun for us. And also, if they figure out your plot line, it's okay. And it means that you did a good job as yeah. a writer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and you don't have to be mad at people for it. Because that's exactly. what we want to do. And it shows that people are actually diving into this stuff and listening. Exactly. And, and yeah. really, really thinking about it. Like, hell, I remember when um, listening to Joe's podcast about The 100 and when she had figured out... Shout out to Dropship. Um, we love you, Dropship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Dropship was, like, my weekly thing at work listening to that. But when, when she had figured out... Um, oh, my mind is just going completely blank Give us with, a with, hint. with Chip and the next. Oh, Allie and, yeah. yeah. And Allie and all of a sudden, and I remember watching that episode and I just screamed, holy shit, Joe was right. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, I like shows that reward you for paying attention. Oh, and God. I think, I think too, like there's a, being obvious is one thing. Like you watch an episode of like, and I'm not saying this to be mean to anyone who enjoys Law and Order. I enjoy obvious TV sometimes myself if I don't want yes, to deep yeah. dive. But when you watch Law & Order, you know who did it within the first 15 minutes. Like, it's pretty yeah. obvious. Yeah. We get shows like The Walking Dead. That has that show hasn't made me think in years. <laughs> Walking Dead shame. Thinking about just, like, Westworld in specific, if an audience figures out kind of the general shape of things by about halfway through the season... Don't get mad as writers. Don't feel like you did bad or like you need to shock us at the last minute because that's bad writing. Like if someone is hardcore paying attention and understands narrative conventions and is bouncing ideas off of people and trying to figure stuff out, they should be able to figure it out by about halfway through the season because you should have laid down enough narrative tracks and clues. Yeah. That they can at least see the general shape of things to come. Like I hate um shock tv i do not want a twist that i could never have seen coming because that feels like you know that's not fair like at, don't don't do that to me just so you can feel like oh i surprised you with this person is the villain who you've never met <laughs> that's well, that's what i watch soap operas for exactly like that's cheap storytelling don't get bitter just get better <laughs> oh yeah. she yes. ended up nicely 
<laughs> Remember when we were talking about ships and now we're talking about... <laughs> no, no, <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on to some actual <laughs> topics that people requested. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so Brock, who is at Bielmeister, would like to hear about character development of the mains, which some of we talked a little bit about some of them. I was going to say Michael. Um, Michael's a good one. About who changed the most and who has the most changing to do. And in addition to that, AJ, who is at AJ Winter Books, wants to hear about Charlie and Sawyer in particular. All right, I'll hit who has the most changing to do since okay. I think it's Locke. Yeah. Because John Locke, the island, you know, he... It, 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 it teaches him in some ways that that all the things he's wanted, all these thoughts he's having about himself, he can be special. He can be important. And he, it's almost like the island turns him in, into a child again a little bit, which I think is ironic given some spoiler stuff. But it's, you know, he gets very, it's like how when a little kid has a secret, they don't want to tell anybody. It's the thing of like, this is mine and I don't want to share it with you. Like, so much of the island for Locke is is just about not growing as a person at all and well, not being able to change, so. And we see at the beginning of the season how not, I, I, want to, I don't want to say kicked down, but beaten down by life he was. Oh, was, yeah. You sit in the cubicle, you build your boxes. Yep. Oh, you went on a holiday, but you didn't actually go to the thing? Well, you're fired. Ugh, He's so right belittled at his job by a guy that's probably like a third of his age, and now all of a sudden... He comes to this island and hey, I well hell I can walk, but now I can show off actually what oh, yeah. I know, what I can do. People respect me. People come to me like it's a huge culture shock probably for him. Like finally, for the first time in years, he's important Agreed. and wanted. You know, not just for his organs. <laughs> Agreed. Sorry. And I, I think in as much as as the island has a purpose for John Locke, it definitely that plays into it. That need to be special, that desperate need to yeah. take control again. Oh, incredibly desperate. Man, I think he's almost Locke more desperate it. to be needed than than Jack is. It? Oh, yeah. No, Locke. And it, I like the way, and this is something I noticed subtly um, in the background. Like, it never clicked into me consciously until the last time I rewatched it. You see Locke trying to make sure he's needed by people. You see him popping up with little solutions with this, that, and the other. He's, I don't think it's like a conscious currying of favor, but it, it, it's a little bit like Locke wants to be everything to everyone. And it's it's very interesting that you see him, you know, I he's the guy who's going to teach Walt how to throw knives, which I'm sorry, Michael shouldn't want his son to hang out with Locke. Locke is creepy. If I was a parent, I would not want Stabby McGee to be my underage <laughs> son's best friend. Stabby McGee? Yeah, Stabby McGee. Like, go off with knife guy. Sure, that's fine. Yeah. Well, and, and, and how old is Walt at this time? Like, I don't ten. know if I would send my He's kid. He's supposed to be ten. ten. Uh, uh, would I send Lucas out in nine years to be like, here's our creepy neighbor. Go learn how to throw knives. Right? <laughs> Probably not. I feel, exactly. like, I feel like no. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's almost trying to play like cool uncle. Oh, that's totally like, it. It's that thing of yeah. like he, Jack gets to be the bad guy, and Locke gets to pop up and fix things and bring food, and it's it's a little bit like the person on Survivor who gets obsessed with how they can fish, and is like, I can fish. I'm a provider. I can fish. They need me. Like it's very much. There's a little bit of that echo there. Maybe you should talk about Sawyer since he's your boo. Yeah. About 
Oh, about his character development? Yes. Mm-hmm. I feel... Okay, so I think that Sawyer had a little bit of an arc in season one, um, but I would say that most of his character development happens later. Um, yeah. But I would say, like, the Sawyer that we see in... I believe it's walk about actually i think it's tabula rasa where he is like inside of the fuselage and he's like yeah. <laughs> searching for things that he can and although he continues to have like a stash and everything and like he still keeps things from people and does trades and such he is you can see the beginnings of him being a good person like even hints of him like still being a good person in tabula rasa when he shoots the marshal and then misses yeah and you can see in his face how much regret he he feels but i think even just regular island sawyer to raft sawyer is already a total change also change this is like a random side thought but in terms of like an examination on masculinity lost is absolutely fascinating if you look at it Mm -hmm. through a lens of like what does manhood mean? What does fatherhood mean? Since, you know, the creators and a lot of the room were dudes, so there's definitely a dude perspective running through the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I think it's it's especially It's, it's with, daddy issues, the TV show. Exactly, but, like, a, that moment with, with Sawyer, that reminded me, because in that moment he feels, I think there's this shade of, like, I'm the man, the tough man. I do the thing. I shoot the guy. I am man. And then as soon as it happens, not only does he screw it up, he feels terrible about it. Yeah. Because that's not who he is. That's an imagining of masculinity that has nothing to do with eventually the sort of masculinity he will embrace and grow into. And I think I just, just I've been idly thinking about that but that moment with the gun I had never connected that before but I think there's definitely an interesting arc in terms of Sawyer becoming comfortable with being a man in ways that don't have to do with violence which considering he came from an abusive background like that's often how it works a father patterns abuse for a son and then that son goes on to have at least abusive tendencies because that's how he was taught manhood works yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Like, when he, when I, the first time I watched it, I couldn't stand him. I thought he was just one of those stereotypical guys that you would see at the bar that you would try to avoid the whole damn time. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to have to. Like, oh, sweet. I, this is the guy I'm going to step on his toe and he's going to try to fight me at the end of the yeah. This is exactly what oh I want. Oh, my gosh. This reminds me of a Tumblr post that I just saw recently that was, like, in in real life crushes. And it's like, okay, but, like, how does he feel about intersexual or inter, intersectional feminism? Like, I don't know if our de- ideals, like, match up. And then it was, like, fictional crushes. <laughs> He killed two people. He can kill me. I was about to laugh. I was going to be like, processing Sawyer as a woman is you end up in two areas. One, ooh, bad boys. I was trained to find this attractive. <laughs> or two, oh my God, that's the guy at the bar who is not going to leave me alone. Mm-hmm. He's the douchebag who, right up until last call, is like, you sure you don't want a shot? You sure, sweetheart? You want a shot? You sure you don't want one? It's like- and then later on, he turns into the bloody book... Bookworm nerd in Aww. halfway through the season. And then he beats he beats you up because we wouldn't let him buy us a He shot. contains multitudes. <laughs> Not so 
so interesting. I've never thought about how Sawyer would process to another guy. That's so fascinating. I've literally never thought about that. There's a lot of things that I've never thought of, and then Sarah's bringing up, and I'm just sitting here going, I'm a moron. <laughs> no, no, that, like, I love that. Girl. I sat here and watched Lost, like, I like television. And now I'm listening to her going, oh, my God, I really should look into Dude, this stuff. I love I this stuff, before. though. It's because, like, honestly, like, everything is about your own perspective. Like, I watch TV from the perspective of a 30-year-old white girl who's gone through what I've gone through and has seen whatever. And it just never clicks into my head to be like, what would it be like to watch this show as a man? <laughs> like, it's just so cool. I've literally never thought about that. Thank you. I love that. That's great. I'm so pumped. I'm sorry. I love new perspectives. I am genuinely giddy. <laughs> Charlie thoughts? Anybody got some Charlie thoughts? I love Charlie. I got lots of Charlie. Take- well, not, I don't have as many Charlie thoughts as I, I know Sarah would. But like, <laughs> I, see, he changes so much and it's all of a sudden he has someone... To look, not to look after, but someone to maybe help him grow with Claire. Like, that's yeah. the one ship that I, oh, like, I at love the, when the whole show ended, that actually made me get choked up. And I don't get choked up, and I don't cry often. Mm-hmm. But, like, we see him start off as this heroin junkie that can't even make it through a bloody flight without getting high. And then, a couple episodes in here, I'm bringing you fake peanut butter because, God, I just want you to love me, and I want you to like me so bad, little pregnant girl. Like, I just... I want you so bad, and I, I I absolutely love where he starts to go in this season. Like, and then of course at the end of the season we see that he's stolen one of the the, yeah. the Mary statues, oh, yeah. and I'm just like, really, we're gonna go oh, back that, to that? that? Why are you doing this? Like, he changes so much. Like the episode where he's got to go save Jack and crawl th- like yeah. curl into the cave like I just you know what it like, is we see him develop so well and then they just slam us and say nope we're not going to do that we're going to screw him up hey there's going to be an episode later called fire and water and you're going to like see like not. the way they handle that in season two I think sours the choice but in a vacuum I think I like it because Charlie didn't choose to give up drugs he had yeah. to go cold turkey because there was nothing else left. He was not given a choice. Yeah. So when he, he's still an addict. Like, he's an addict. Well, actually, I would say, I would say that he was sort of given a choice by Locke, but. Well, but, but sense. you know what I mean in terms yeah. of. Yeah. Eventually he was going to run yeah. out and he would yeah. have, have had no choice. Exactly. So it's, eventually he would have run out. So there was like this choice of. Do it now or later. Do I have my one last hurrah? Yeah. Or do I let it go now was what he thought he was picking. Not there are a million of them and I can have Coke whenever or heroin whenever I want. So I think it makes sense in terms of like the realism of addiction when someone presented with their drug of choice, whatever that drug is. You know, if you're an addict, saying no to it is really hard. And impulse control, especially with addiction, is like one snap judgment and you're done. Months and months or years and years of work just flush down the toilet because of one moment where you got, you just, you weren't able to hold back. I think it's interesting. I think you nailed something about Charlie is, and I, I... just taking it a little further too is the reason Charlie starts doing drugs is because he is the person who brings peanut butter to a pregnant woman. He is this guy who wants to take care of people. Like Charlie 
is so nurturing and Charlie is so loving. And I think that's in part why the addiction is so not just psychological, like addiction itself is psychologically damaging, but there is this thing of, I tried to save my brother from drugs. I tried so hard and then I fell into the hole with him as almost part of a, to keep us together, to stay on that level. And he left me here. Yeah, you know, and I think, that's the thing that I found so sad about oh, his story right? was that he never wanted to get oh, into it. He, all he wanted—it was just the music. That's yeah. all that he wanted. And as soon as it was ever going to get bad, he would be out. And he was the one that ended up getting screwed mm-hmm. up. And I was just—that's—that's that's where I really started to feel for him, and yeah. actually started feeling like a connection for him. Where he just—it was—it wasn't ever about that. It was just about him, his brother. And he got swept up into this. His brother got clean, and he was just an absolute junkie still, yep. where he couldn't function anymore. And it's not like he could pull himself out. And it's not really like his family wanted to help him. It seemed like. And it's so sad too, especially because just just speaking as someone who like my people in my family, there are a lot of people with addiction problems. Like especially if you're a recovering or former addict yourself, being around somebody who is using especially the same drug you used to no matter how much you love them no matter how much you want to help them there is i mean within circles of addiction the philosophy goes you never stop being an addict you just stop taking your drug So for Charlie's brother, I would assume it was a health thing of like, I love you and I wish I could help you. And I've, cause they say, I believe that he's helped Charlie get in and out of rehab a few times. So I think it's that thing of like, do they? I don't remember that. I feel like there's a line where they talk about rehab, but I could be, I could be making it up. It's like a throwaway later. Okay. I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to do some research. All right. Robin to the rescue. (laughs) But, like, just in terms of, like, especially since heroin was both their thing, I can't, like, as much as it's, like, I sympathize with Charlie and I feel so bad and I have this almost anger towards his brother, like, as if they're real people, I also sympathize with his brother because it's, like, I need to not be around heroin because I am a heroin addict who no longer does heroin and being around it, especially when Charlie was pretty clearly not going to give it up at the stage he was at. Like it would have been so hard for his brother to be around someone who was doing heroin and not slide back down himself that it's like, I have this anger because it's not fair that Charlie got left, but also it's not, It's like one of those things where when, and this is, I think, the best writing, it's where two people's needs that are totally valid and totally fair and neither one is being a creep and they're both, you know, reason, like, it's understandable. Charlie being an addict is an addict and is still doing heroin and needs help. His brother being a former addict can't be around an addict because it's, he's worried he'll slide back. Mm-hmm. It's so heartbreaking because they can't do anything for each other, but it's also totally fair. And that's such good writing because I'm mad, yeah. but I understand it. Oh, did you find it? Yep. So okay. it's in the moth. You're still a chunky. You did this to me. It was about the music. Music, Liam. You took that away from me. 
Listen. Why don't you stay with us for a few weeks? Karen and me, we can get you help. Sydney's got some really good programs again. Yeah, okay, that was what it was, was uh, he tried to offer him the help, and Charlie yeah. was... The deal was, come back and do music with me, not, I will stop heroin, <laughs> and yeah. then we'll see what happens. Yes. Which, if you're an ex-addict, I mean, you have to put your foot down, and you have to say, I can't be around that. Like, for my own safety, for my own health, I can't do it. So it's... Well, and considering, I think, wasn't it that he had missed the birth of his daughter? He was, like, high yeah, on yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, he missed like the birth of his daughter. Like, that's the kick that, that's going to be, oh, maybe I should get clean. Exactly. I guess. And Charlie's, Charlie's never had that. No, exactly. Like, I guess, and it, it, even, even now, it's not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Should we move on? Let's move on to the next topic. All right. Okay. Sure. Sure. So uh, this one it was uh, from Angela, who is at RL Writers Block on Twitter, and she wants to hear about the storylines that we enjoyed the most, and if there were any storylines that we had problems with. I think we already covered some of that. Yeah. Good for us. I'm like, so problems. Yeah. I mean, romance and Jack. Romance and Jack. Yeah. The one thing I wanted to see them, <laughs> I wish I wanted them to dive into more because Hurley said it a lot especially in, in uh, numbers when he was talking right after he won the lottery, um, how I've put my family through a lot recently, and I don't think we ever really got to know True. much about that. I, like, yeah. we never really, I don't, like, from what I remember, we never really sh- were shown why he was in the mental institution. Like, oh, no, we do, what? because uh, the debt collapses when he's on it. And he, like, all the terrible stuff happens, that debt collapses, That's right. and oh my God. Trisha Sounds Tanaka dies. Mm-hmm. So I think yes. he goes... Hashtag spoilers. Oh, Oops. sorry. But no really? one knows who Trisha Tanaka is. True. Um, but also, the only episode she shows up in is literally called Trisha Tanaka is yeah, Dead. Yeah, if you look so. at the episode titles, you're like, who's Trisha Tanaka? You already know Tanaka is dead. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> She died. Yeah, she did. I sound like one of those people that's only watched the show once. Jeez. I I was just going to say the thing about (laughs) Hurley that, like, that just reminded me there is, like, man is somebody who did, like, I did a stint in, uh, with hospitalization. I have bipolar. It was when I was a teenager. That feeling of, like, I've put my family through so much. This health thing I'm going through is an imposition and I'm bad for having it happen to me. Man, do they nail that stuff with Hurley. The shame portion, the not wanting to talk about it, how he won't tell anyone he was hospitalized because he's embarrassed. That, uh, man, they nail a lot of stuff when it comes to Hurley and, like, weight issues and mental health issues, food issues. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah, I think Hurley's plot in season one especially is a really nice one. I agree. Because it's yeah. done well. I, For my money, if I have to pick one character on this show who has the absolute best arc, that is the tightest, that never screws up, that you can clearly see exactly what's going on, especially in retrospect, Hurley. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. every beat in yeah. Hurley's story is picture perfect. I cannot find a complaint with it. Well, and it seemed like almost every week like it gets, he gets better and better yep. and better, and they just build him up and up and up and up and up. Right? I agree. It, yeah. Like you don't really ever see him do anything wrong or bad. Like, like he he never really screws anything up where it's going to be detrimental to the group. Or if he does, like 
there's a huge lesson. Yeah. Right, and if he ever... Anything he messes it's, up, he does because he's trying to help. Like, he wants yeah. to help. Like, it's... Yeah. He's trying to overcome something else, and there's an inadvertent consequence. Well, and that's very much like Boone, too, through yeah. up until he dies, is that's all he's trying to do is help, and he'll... He screwed... Like, oh, Boone, and, Boone and Hurley Boone. are very much the same way in that, where they're just... Tr- they're trying to do things right, but they, they they keep on screwing it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boone is, I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but Boone is the guy who can always identify a problem, but does not feel confident enough to fix said problem. Like, he's just like the guy who stands there and is like, yo, that lady is choking. <laughs> Someone going to do something <laughs> about that? Like, it's like... Does anyone have a pen? I'm like, I, I see you have identified the problem, Boone. Would you like to try a solution? Well, that's because, like, in White Rabbit, Joanna starts drowning and Boone's like, this is my moment, I'm a lifeguard, and he goes out there and he messes it up and he almost drowns, so he's probably like, I'm not stepping in anymore. Oh, that's a good point. Boone is kind of funny in that he he desperately wants to be the hero, Mm -hmm. and he will just never, ever be the hero, and in some ways his desperation is what keeps him. From, like, being able to leap over that hurdle. He needs somebody to follow. Yeah. Bo- Boone craves um, a purpose, and Boone craves someone... He wants to be the second banana. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I, I like, I know for me personally, that's a really relatable thing. Oh, totally. I don't want it. Like, everyone wants someone to tell them, like, here's what you're gonna do. I was literally just joking on Twitter with Claire the other day that, like... I don't want to be, like, the person in charge of the evil empire. I want to be, like, their second. So I don't have to make all the choices, but I get to tell everybody what to do anyway. Yeah, but doesn't that guy, like, always die? You don't want the blood on your hands. No, it's not even about the blood. It's just, like, I'm not a great decision maker. I, I waffle and I vacillate. So if someone else gives me my marching orders, I am very good at laying them out and Hurting the ducks, like, I used to work as a camp counselor and a waitress at a pub. So, like, getting people in order is kind of my thing. This is so relatable. But coming like, up with, like, the yeah. overall thing, I prefer to be the cruise director, not the captain. <laughs> you want to be the first officer. You want to be Riker, not Picard. I do. I want to be the cruise director. That's yeah. it. I want to like. Because then at least if something goes wrong, it's not completely your fault. You can just yeah, exactly. No, I can be like, "Yo, Captain, what do we do?" Yep. <laughs> now that you have crashed the ship and everyone likes me, <laughs> yeah. what do but, we do, Captain? But I'm gonna go bitch about how you crashed the ship and how I wouldn't have done it that way. Right? Exactly. I'm gonna go bitch down the chain about how shitty you are. <laughs> we are all Sarah. <laughs> Um, so for the next topic, Sarah, you wanted to discuss how Lost paved the way for modern storytelling, and you, you hit some of these points already, but do you have any, do. any uh, so, final thoughts? Yeah, if I repeat myself at all, just, you know, cut around it, but I was going to say, particularly in the use of the flashback, before Lost, you do not see flashbacks in serious TV. Mm. They are for sitcoms, and they're usually have a, you know, they're in black and white, or they've been sepia tinted or whatever. Like, and they have the, yeah, and they have, and or they'll do like the wavy TV lines and do the music of like, do 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 do, you know, like, and wave the picture in the flashback. 
So it was a gag. It was not a serious storytelling thing. The idea that you could just plop down a scene from a character's past, a dramatic scene, and have it work was just, it didn't exist. So, you know, and look at all, look at modern TV. Try to think of a show that doesn't use flashbacks on some level, and you're kind of coming up hard on, like, examples. Most shows use some sort of form of flashback these days to trans to you know communicate, be it you know a tr- explaining what happened in a twist or you know the straight up just a flashback to somebody's past. Without Lost, I mean, I'm sure some other show eventually would have stumbled over it since it is a literary device. But we had just we had never seen it in broadcast TV. And now Battlestar. it's in every show. Me, whenever someone says something, excuse me, Battlestar was doing it at the exact same time. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Okay, now I'm going to pull a Robin. <laughs> um, what does that mean? Oh, I'm going to Google Battlestar and flashbacks. Oh. Here's where I sound like an idiot and say I never watched Battlestar Galactica. Okay, so you and me can't be friends anymore. No, I know, but I'm also the same one that hasn't seen Star Wars still, so... We're still on the oh same God. page, Scott. We're good. I know, I know. I'm in pain. Also, Battlestar 104, Act of Contrition. Yeah, that's true. And then they do it They do it a couple times because, like, they need to flash back to, like, pre-apocalyptic, like... Yeah, that's true. Uh, Caprica slash Bank. Although, to be fair, Lost airs before. So. I'm just saying. They started at the same time. 2005. 2004, bud. 2004. Aha, uh-huh, aha, uh-huh, but Battlestar's original premiere was 2003, because that's when the miniseries came out. Did they have flashbacks in the miniseries? I might be wrong then. I might be talking out my butt. Brittany might okay, have just fact either way. Me. <laughs> but either way, okay. So whatever. Anyway, but, um. No, but this is saying, like, sci-fi breaks ground and does things oh, yeah. that other things are afraid to do, and then it becomes normal after sci-fi does it first. Yeah, and also Lost, I mean, Lost was really the first serialized TV show. That you watched Lost like a book. It was also one of the, the, one of the, I think the first show, if not one of the first to uh, combine like an ARG portion, you know, the phone numbers you could call when it was first airing, the websites. So it was really the first show that gave an immersive, interactive experience for the fan base. Mm -hmm. And then it also introduced us to thinking in a much more global way about TV. Yeah. In picking up a thread from episode, you know, three and episode 17, that just wasn't really a thing TV was doing. And now look mm-hmm. at, say, Game of Thrones, where, like, freaking Benjen is going to show up when you haven't seen Benjen in six seasons, and the show expects you to remember who Benjen is. Yep. So it's definitely that level of lost, lost trained us. To, to watch TV in a different way, but also to, I would say, t- to create a higher bar for TV. Oh, yeah. Everyone else after that had to be like, okay, we actually need to, like, not treat our audience like idiots. Oh, yeah, and it's also, like, I, ironically, I think, like I said, you need Lost to appreciate Lost. Because yeah. until you've seen a show like that, you can't, your brain isn't hooked into that model of TV if all you've been watching is very episode by episode you know there might be a vague plot that continues season wide but you can pretty much just keep track week by Mm -hmm. week and not really feel like you're forgetting anything 
It's completely retrained, not retrained me, but made me think, when I watch a TV show, think completely differently now. Like I said earlier, now I watch for every little thing. Like, even even some of the mindless television like I watch, like Orange is the New Black, it's even made me... Because they, they jump back and show you old storyline stuff oh, a lot orange. in that show. And it, it, show. it'll... it'll it, it kind of does this where it, yeah, it still makes you think about, okay, maybe that's why this character is this way. Or, oh, yeah. oh holy crap, that's why this is going this way. But I I, yeah. I, I don't remember watching a show before Lost that actually did flashbacks. And Flash Sideways were never a thing. But, oh, no, yeah. Like, except for, yeah, like you guys said, like old comedy shows that would, the whole screen would go wavy and all of a sudden <laughs> Steve Urkel was little now and not big <laughs> Steve Urkel. And, yeah, exactly. You know, like. It's it has retrained me completely how to watch television. I think it yeah. also added to because Lost's characters were so fleshed out. Oh yeah. And like they were all real people. Like I'm trying to think of old school shows that I've seen. And and one of the things that I remember that I'm thinking of is you you know, you watch ten seasons of Friends and you still don't know what Chandler's job is. Yeah. He was a, a trans monster. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, I also think that people expect characters to be more fleshed out these days. It's also yeah. like, you know, the era of, I think The Wire starts in like 2002 and The Sopranos is, I think. Well, I mean, The x Oh, yeah, but I mean, just in terms of like, uh. Like, the anti-hero era of TV really does, oh, I, yeah. I think you can credit The Sopranos with beginning yeah. that era. Mm-hmm. And I think Lost was the first show to look at something like, you know, the success of The Sopranos and The Wire. Especially because network TV tends to be very morally black and white, even now. But especially mm-hmm. back then. You were not allowed to have much character ambiguity. People are villains, or they are good guys. Even on something like, you know, even like Buffy, you don't get, and and I'm an old school Buffy fan, but the moral ambiguity levels there are, you don't get somebody who always exists in the middle. Network TV wants you to pick a side because it's, you know, it's it's a little bit more, let's try to appeal to everybody. It's not me. Well, that was one of, that was Gene Roddenberry's like hard and fast rule for the Star Trek franchise is that... There always had to be a clear good and evil, yep. and the crew could never have intercrew conflict. No, exactly, they exactly. Could, they could never argue with each other. They all always had to be on the same team because otherwise, the viewer wouldn't like the character. No, that's exactly that's exactly what I mean. Is network had that mindset? Yeah, and I think Lost was the first big network show that took a look at The Sopranos and The Wire and the popularity of, as I call it, morally ambiguous sad man doing bad things TV. And go, House. okay, people are into that stuff. Let's yep. see if we can... And yeah, House is of the exact... You don't get House on network TV, I don't think, without first getting The Sopranos and stuff on HBO and then having a show like Lost test the waters to what an audience would accept in terms of a more mainstream show. Because yep. like HBO and The Sopranos has always been like, I mean, what's the, their, their slogan is literally the joke, it's not TV, it's HBO. <laughs> and Lost was like the first thing to be like, no, it is TV. TV can be more. We're like, ABC it, Disney. 
Because, I mean, if you think about it, the slogan, it's not TV, it's HBO, is a dig at TV from a time when TV was Roddenberry-esque. People are good or they're bad, and we can't cross those streams too much or it's going to upset the audience. I like it when a TV show makes me have to pick where the main character or where the characters are so right down the middle between good and bad that I've got to pick well, what are you? Like, yeah. after Lost, yeah. like, I think of, like, Breaking Bad. Like, oh, yeah. Walter White, like, do I like you, or are you an absolute psycho? Like, that is yep. destroying yep. his family, destroying Jesse, and doing all this, or are you just a guy that's just trying to give them some damn money for when you die? Exactly. You know, and that was... No, and the, the fun part is, like, not ever really knowing. Oh, yeah. It, it, ex- exactly. Shout out on that one, by the way, you should try Orphan Black if you haven't seen it yet, because Orphan Black has that same very, you're my hero because you're the lead, so I'm rooting for you, but also, oh my god, what are your choices? What are you doing? Yeah, I I don't ever hear from people that, it's like, you go and you say, who's your favorite Harry Potter character? And hardly anyone ever says Harry. Says Harry. Yeah. And so, like, I watch Orphan Black and you say, oh, who's your favorite Orphan Black clone? No one ever says Sarah. Sarah's my favorite. Sarah. Uh, Great. You, I, oh, that's awesome. Really, there's, I love She's, I have to, like, I can't pick a favorite, but she's, if I have to, like, it's two, it's because Yeah, I've got a Sarah. three-way, I've got a three-way tie. But I, I was going to say, too, that Considering they're all clones. There's yeah. a great, uh... There's a great post about that. It floats around Tumblr every so often about how Sarah Manning is not a likable female character on purpose. Mm -hmm. And it challenges us in ways that we would never, like, if Sarah Manning was a dude, she would be everyone's favorite lead character. Yes, that's so true. Everything she's doing codes so stereotypically masculine in tv like she's not a great mom as much as she tries like she was absentee oh she basically has michael's storyline and if sarah if all the clones were dudes i wouldn't watch the show i wouldn't either i wouldn't either (laughs) but that's the thing with like characters like sarah is you end up with characters like kate and because you have you know the sarah's you go back and you rewatch kate and you can appreciate kate so much more i agree watching it with a modern perspective because you're like you know even if they didn't intentionally write her to be an unlikable well i say unlikable but you know the audience didn't like her no i get what you mean in terms of like the baggage sense of what people describe as likability for a woman yeah like even if they didn't intentionally do that she is a fantastic example of a character who is deeply flawed that people reacted to very negatively, but who is very understandable and complex. I think, although Shannon's application, like the way they write her is very paper thin, especially in the beginning, I think Shannon's another great example of that. Especially yeah. because Shannon codes in, like, we we have a certain disdain for women in general, but there is a special disdain not a worse disdain than any other kind in fact i would say probably the disdain placed towards women of color is much worse but we have a special separate disdain for white women who fit the stereotype of attractiveness so if and who have like that and who have yeah who code as 
as feminine and who are thin and blonde and Shannon is upper class. So there's this thing of like, I'm not going to sympathize with you because you're a mean, like look at every teenage girl bully in a movie other than like, even I guess Regina George is the only example where there's anything behind it. It's just like, this is the awful, mean, popular girl, and we can all defeat her in this movie and feel great about it, because we all remember hating someone, and especially if you're overweight, or you're nerdy, or you don't fit in in some way, looking at someone who ostensibly fits in, you assume that they must be happy. They don't have the same amount of humanity. It's like, I hear from people, you know... It's like, this is a weird example because I'm not even all that big a Katy Perry fan, but there was some comedy routine talking about how firework from Katy Perry was the stupidest thing ever because pretty girls don't need empowerment songs. Are you telling me Katy Perry's ever felt ugly? Look at her. Like, she has nothing to complain about. So I think there's that level of instinctive, shut up, you fit the mold of what people accept so I'm not going to accept that there could be something deeper and more painful below that. You're pretty be happy. Yeah, exactly. Like, the, it, in a lot of ways, it's saying, like, female characters can't have complexity. Yeah, and it's also just in terms of, like, I know personally, like, just as someone who um, I used to be really, really overweight, I had a thing about, quote, skinny bitches. I was very aggressively... Oh, same. I, the internalized misogyny was horrible. Exactly. And I put my issues with the way other people felt about my body onto women who I felt like must be happy with their own bodies. And I think Shannon falls in that perfect stereotype of the bitchy rich blonde where we don't want to give her any sympathy Like, nobody wants to sympathize with Shannon. And in some ways, the show doesn't even want to. Which is why on this rewatch, I love Shannon. But that's exactly it, is I think especially I hated her when I first watched. Me too. And then when I went back and watched again, I had just had a well of sympathy for her because I think I had grown to the point where I could empathize with someone who, as, say, a 17, 18-year-old girl... Just looking at Shannon made me feel terrible about myself. So it was that thing of I was angry with Shannon for being the things the world said I should be. So no matter what Shannon did, I wasn't going to be happy with her. And I think there's a level... There. But at the same time, uh, guys, we get it the exact same way, too. Oh, no, like, totally, not, totally. Not, not as bad, but yeah, no, she completely fit the mold of the Regina George, the she. And most of the people that I remember from middle school and high school that were like that are exactly what Shannon was like. And was yeah. what at the same time was exactly what Sawyer was like, too. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Because, like, Sarah, I was the same way as you. Like, up until recently, I have been a chubby-ass guy since I was 12 years old. So, I like, mm-hmm. I get it completely, too. Oh, yeah. And it's I think, too, it's interesting of, like, the sympathy will extend to, and I'm not putting this on the show, I think more on the audience, is like, look at the way people sympathize with, like, Locke or Jack or Sawyer, but won't sympathize with Kate or Shannon or Michael. 
And I think it's yep. definitely, as a society, there's a level of, like... Uh, <laughs> it's the you-know-why comment. It's like, why is it like this way? You know why. I, I, I'm not going to say the name, but there's a reason that a perfectly qualified and wonderful woman was not trusted and a vile orange was elected president of my country. Mm. <laughs> so, but we have this instinctive thing of, like, we give men more slack. In terms of, like, narrative stuff, like, going back to Sarah and Michael, they have the same plot, but we expect women to be natural mothers in a way that we we don't expect that in, in terms of stereotypical fatherhood rules, which is damaging to men, to be honest, as well as women, yeah. because it tells men, don't nurture, don't comfort, don't take an interest in those woman habits. Because then you're not... But that's why Michael was so great. Because Michael did those that's things. That's not what a dad's about. Exactly. And it's why Charlie's great, too. Yeah. I get asked even, like, because, like, me and my wife, like, are little guys a year now. I got asked all the time, like, oh, have you changed a diaper yet? Well, for God's <laughs> sakes, the kid's over here. Of course I've changed a damn diaper. It's like it's expected that men don't have to do that stuff. And oh, yeah. Like, well, I mean... Where, yeah, where does this come from? This is I can't believe someone asked you that. People, oh, yeah. I remember people asking me, like, months in, like, have you changed a diaper? Have you got up with him at night? And I'm like, of course I have. It's your kid. It's I hate the, the concept of people saying, like, when the dads take their kids to the playground, it's babysitting. Oh my it's god! It's like no, yeah. you're just looking after my no, child. No, that's your child. <laughs> exactly. Or, or if he's not dressed completely coordinated, oh well, dad dressed you. Screw off. <laughs> right. It's also like, like, I have great fashion taste. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah he's wearing a hoodie and a pair of shorts because that's what know, I would wear. What do you want? You guys know how yeah, like in housework commercials, it'll be like there's like a dad who's like. How do paper towels work? I've never cleaned anything. <laughs> yeah. Or like, mom's out of town, time for dominoes. Like, I've always <laughs> wondered, and maybe you can answer me, Scott. Like, it, that feels so infantilizing to me. Oh, yeah. Like, if it, I was a dude and I watched TV, I would be like, fuck you. I can clean. I can oh, clean yeah. up a spill. What the fuck was wrong with you? I've been cleaning bathrooms since I was a kid. My okay, mom, thank like, you. My, my, my parents got divorced when I was 10 years old. I lived with my mom. Like, me and my mom my dad. Great relationship. But mm -hmm. I, I got two feet in a heartbeat. You get off your butt and you go clean yeah. the bathroom. Like, at my job, I have been cleaning bathrooms since I was 15 years old. So when my ass is home on days off, I vacuum. I clean floors. I wash bathrooms. My wife has not done my laundry once. Oh we my god. god bless. If my boyfriend asked me to do his laundry, I would legit just look at him and be like, I hope you have a reason I need to do this. Hell no. You don't touch my drawers. I don't touch your drawers. Right? That's like, I don't the way it works. I don't want you to do mine either. <laughs> god no. Her laundry's got too many damn rules anyway. So I <laughs> screw that shit up. <laughs> delicate. Eric's not allowed to wash my stuff. Because no, he'll but, ruin it. <laughs> but Sarah, you're completely true. That kind of crap pisses me off. Okay, I always wondered, because it always felt so insulting. Like, how it's expected that I don't know how to cook or look after my kid or or clean anything. It's like, well, yeah, just because I've got a penis doesn't mean I don't know how to do these basic skills. Right? Like, of course. You know what I mean? 
But like the God the, the stuff about the like like oh have you ever changed if you have changed the diaper that's the kind of crap that pissed me right off from the get go. It also it assumes that you just have a level of not only like helplessness but like detachment like oh yeah, completely that you don't care and, about and the day to day of your kid. And that's where Lost did it right, where they show that Michael does care, and he did. Yeah. He wanted to be there, but, like, she just, she took the kid on him. Like, it wasn't that exactly. stereotypical shitty father was just like, sweet, you're going to move. I don't have to deal with this responsibility. And, you know, you know, I think it also, like, what's interesting is, like, I have literally never heard other than, like, kind of in this podcast situation where we've talked about this, where I've talked about it rather with Robin and Brittany, the idea that Michael would want fatherhood and not just like to be a father on the level of like being able to call Walt even, but fatherhood on the level of I want to be involved. I want to do stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to take care of him. I have literally never seen commentary about that. Because we don't, I think there's an assumption of not wanting that. And that's so intrinsic to who Michael is. Like, that's all he wanted to be was a father. Yeah, and I think by Mm -hmm. them, at least him, like, sending cards and handwritten drawings all the time Mm -hmm. showed that he really wanted to be the, never picking up the phone thing, that, they never go into that. But I guess there's there's so many damn storylines in this show that they could have shown more and more and more. And I guess considering that Walt was gone halfway through. I feel so bad for Harold on that level. And it's like, it's not the writer's fault. They could have showed him being a better character so so much easier even. It was, and that one's where it's like, they got back to into corner with Walt's actor because he does look too old. Like it is glaringly obvious. But then what do you do with Michael if you can't have Walt on screen it's Ever. a magical island. Oh, he's just thing. aged years. And Mo- and Walt is a magic boy. You time jumped that shit, and that's, that's how true. you explain it all. You could have done it. Exactly. Yeah. One episode explained. Done. Another thing that, like, we keep mentioning that Lost um, really paved the way for shows now, but I also want to talk about something that Lost really did that we don't see anymore, and that's that they have, like, literal, like, sometimes five-minute-long scenes that are just for you to relax. Yes. And they have times where you can just, like, watch something rather than have to listen to storyline over and over and over again. Like, they will have uh, show-don't-tell scenes that are, like, basically silence or like you know jakina's score whereas Mm -hmm. most of the shows that we watch now it's just like plot 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 drama 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 and that's why lost is my favorite show agreed yeah like the thing i I always liked that there was like you would have scenes that made your made you think but then you'd have just mindless pointless crap too which like like the golf scene like that didn't even be there it's just fun or later on in season, I think it's just season two, um, the Jeep scene. Like, it's just... Uh, season three, but yeah. Season three, totally. it's just fun. You know what That's I mean? That's the one that came to my mind first as well. Yeah. I, yeah. Shambhala is on my phone. I Every time it pops on in the car, it's like, ha, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, they give yeah. you parts that are just, like, for you to smile at and for you to, like, just find joy in. 
And the thing that's upsetting is, like, we as a society don't have that attention span anymore to allow for that on television. Yeah. No, and you know what's so bad? And, I, and God, I want to curb myself from doing it. I am on my phone so much when I watch TV now, and I'm like, damn it. Like, I, yeah. you don't enjoy anything. Like, and I remember when I watched Lost, at least the first time through, I wasn't on it at all. But I find shows are so damn boring now. Like, I've got, epi- <laughs> I've got so many episodes of The Walking Dead just sitting there, and I... Ugh, you know? No, I can't do it. It's just like like I need to look forward to like getting home. Like, oh yeah, this is taped, or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Tuesday yeah. night we can watch like This Is Us, or like the only shows yeah. that do it for me now is that and reality TV. Like, yeah, oh, I pay God, a lot more attention reality to reality TV. TV now. Like now, I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, it's Wednesday, Big Brother's on. Like, ah. yes, yes, you know, we're- because like you get the base, like, human drama from reality TV, whereas TV shows have been taken over by plot. Yeah, where, like, I used to enjoy the Big Bang Theory, and now it's the same garbage every week. I can't watch it. Yeah. I used to be able to watch that, and then I was like, okay, they're laughing at me, not with Exactly. Wait, why are we laughing at you? Big Bang Theory. (laughs) Ah. Oh, I hate that show. Horrible. Yeah, used yeah, exactly. to be good, but now they just rehash the same the same storyline over and over and over again. This is like yeah. this isn't yeah. funny anymore. The toxic masculinity exactly. on there makes me uncomfortable yeah. too. Mm. I'm just like mm. Sarah, you're um one of our uh token religious humans yes. <laughs> on the podcast. So yes. if I give you like two to five minutes, will you be able to to bring up some stuff that we missed? I do. Can I, I have a question. Uh, can I loop in Boone's death with this? Yeah, absolutely. We were going to talk a little bit more about Boone's death in the spoilers, but if you have some no-spoiler Boone thoughts, would love it. Yeah, what I was just going to say is just because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of Christian sort of theology yeah. stuff tied up in Boone dying as someone else. It's the life for a life kind of thing. Yeah. So I just, I... That actually might be a decent segue, so. If you want me to go last, we can segue from that into the more spoilery stuff. Um, the other, only other thing I was going to do before we went into spoilers was, uh, just do some R.I.P.s. Oh, for some dead characters. (laughs) So, R.I.P. Boone. R.I.P. Ethan, even. Uh. R.I.P. Scott. I was gonna say, do I does, does Scott get an R.I.P. Yeah. R.I.P. The Marshal Edward Mars. R.I.P. Yellow Eyed Demon. R.I.P. Joanna. R.I.P. I mean, just like half the plane. Oh yeah, I guess. R.I.P. Yeah. The pilot. I was gonna say, gotta have the pilot in there. Yeah, R.I.P. Graham. Yeah. That's their. That's like our first like awesome like gruesome death on the show too. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was supposed to be Jack, wasn't it? Or, if I recall yeah. correctly, the pilot was supposed to be Jack. And R.I.P. the guy that goes through the plane engine. Oh my god! Oh, true. That's a bad... Well, I guess that's probably a good way to go, because you ain't feeling that. True. Yeah, that's true. You're just yeah. done in a second. Yeah. Sarah, do you want to do, like, a really quick thing about uh, religion just for the people who can't listen to the spoiler section? For sure. For sure. Okay, um... Alright, so... The ways in which Lost is super Catholic is, like, kind of hard to talk about in little tiny bursts, but I will do my best because the super Catholic stuff is all very spoilery. Yeah. But in season one, you do see, I think, 
with Locke in particular, there's a certain, uh, you could draw a certain Moses parallel. There's also the kind of, basically with, especially with Catholicism, there's a lot of like, the idea of being tested by God and having to give up something to prove your loyalty or to prove the depth of your faith or, or conviction is very, that shows up again and again. Like you have, I, I don't know if this is familiar to people who aren't Catholic, but, um, or at least not Christian, but you have the story of uh, Abraham where God literally says, yeah, I'm going to need you to go slaughter your son to prove you love me. And then at the last second, he's like, no, 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 just kidding. Don't kill him. Don't kill him. Just kidding. But that happens a lot in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. God's like, I'm going to need you to do this for me in order to get you that. And especially in terms of Locke going on these journeys out and, and, and the idea of faith without needing to see the face of what you believe in. Because you cannot see the face of God. Like, that's not a thing in Catholic theology. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, especially with the way that Locke seems to perceive the island explicitly through a pseudo-religious, mystical kind of lens, John Locke is basically acting out the Old Testament over and over and over and over in the first season. And Claire would probably be better at this than me. God love her youth minister soul. She would have way more specifics. But, um, but and uh, since this is just a, a season one spoiler, I can say this. There's a lot of Catholic sort of, I know this isn't a real word, symbology, <laughs> inside <laughs> joke, um, in terms of Boone's death. Because you have Boone dying just as Claire gives birth. And this is not just Catholic. This is, I mean, balance to the force is pretty much the idea of light and dark. Sacrifice, balance, that crops up over and over and over, be it in religion or literature or whatever. Like, that's something humanity seems to have been obsessed with since time immemorial. And I think there's both a literal life for death there in terms of Boone dies so that Claire's baby may live, but also in terms of Boone is the sacrificial lamb for Locke's knowledge and for Mm -hmm. Locke's pursuit of being special. And it's even in as much as Locke is telling him to get out of the plane and Boone is the one who stays, like way past the point where it's obviously unsafe. There is this thing of, of, especially since Boone and Locke have been so intrinsically tied up in the hatch plot that's just been theirs, it's almost like Boone is the sacrifice here. In order to get into the hatch, John has to sacrifice Boone. Oh yeah, he always felt like a sacrificial lamb. He is. He's the Isaac of this situation. <laughs> the sacrifice of the island demanded. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I feel like Boone is standing in here as like almost a literal sacrificial lamb. Boone is the death that brings forth not only Claire's baby, but the knowledge that they will soon come into. And you can't, 
you can't give without getting is very Catholic, but also just basic philosophy. And I think that's, I mean, explicitly in that moment, tying the death to birth is the idea of this cycle and of giving something up so that you may have something else. Mm-hmm. Everything needs a balance. Well, Locke even says that he's the um, he's the sacrifice that the island demanded right off. Exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. Which is that is so Catholic. Oh my God, <laughs> the idea of God demanding a sacrifice to prove your worth and your fealty is like over. I, I'm basically John Locke is the Old Testament on repeat. He's like one of those like speak and spell Bibles that they sell in infomercials sometimes where it'll read the Bible to you. I'm sorry, maybe they don't have those in Canada, but in America they like to sell a speak and spell Bibles on late night TV. We had speak and spells, but I don't think we had speak and spell Bibles. Bibles. They're not literally speak and spell Bibles, but it's like, it's this, I'm fascinated by them. They've been selling them on TV lately and I don't know why because it seems dumb. Just get an audiobook. But it's like, a Bible that is not like a paper Bible. It's like a speaker and it's just a recording of the Bible and all it will do is say the Bible to you in a rip-off Morgan Freeman voice. What? I'm going to try to find the link to this commercial America's and show wild. it to you guys on Twitter because it's really funny. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so that's basically John Locke. He is a speak and spell Bible. That is my favorite summation of John Locke ever. <laughs> He's a speak and spell Bible. That's it. That's all there is to it. Well, and then you got to think of the Dane Cook speak and spell bit that he did with a, why won't you play with me? Oh, my God. (laughs) And that is John Locke completely. Why won't you play with me? That's uncomfortably accurate. I'm sorry, guys. I failed at being a Catholic. Today no, you did. You did great. I no. understood none of it, which means you did great. Yeah, <laughs> someone else got it though. Okay, good. See, the problem is like Claire's gonna listen to this and she's gonna be like, "Ooh, here's the other <laughs> stuff I could have said." I'll be fine until another Catholic listens. <laughs> Stay tuned for our segment after the outro. We'll be discussing this episode within the context of the rest of the series. Please be aware that this will be rampant with spoilers, so proceed with caution. Thank you so much for listening to this. Uh, not episode, but season roundtable thing i mean i'm gonna say episode it's an episode of a podcast yeah i guess that's true yeah 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 are you new here (laughs) sorry i'm acting like i'm brand new okay go (laughs) why are you being cute robin's like you guys this has dragged on so long get together we haven't haven't done spoilers yet but i feel like that one will go faster because we got a lot of our spoiler thoughts out Accidentally. Yeah, yeah I this have is... to edit this in like two days. I'm like, so sorry. Robin, okay. you know what happens when you invite me on the podcast. <laughs> I know, I should have known. You it's know so what hard. happens. And especially with season two coming in, that's all. Oh, I can't wait exactly. till I get to talk about the tailings. I just want to talk. Okay, go ahead, Britt. <clears throat> yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I already said that. <laughs> no, you <laughs> flubbed it, so I fixed it. I didn't think it was a flub. I thought it was something charming, but okay. All right, fine. Our music is Terminal by Good News Tunes. Shut up, Sarah. If you're a fan of The 100, we like to talk about that show, too. We just did an interview with one of the props guys, so you should definitely go check it out. Thank you. And if you're a fan of Riverdale, which we inexplicably are, please Yeah, uh, somehow. Yeah, please check out our Season 2 podcast. We're actually having a ball talking about it. It's so fun. What a cheesy 
freaking show. Soap opera, teenage CW. Yeah. Disaster. Um, you can follow at the aficionados on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Redbubble, loads of places. Almost like yeah. all of social media, you could say. Yeah. 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 And our Patreon is patreon.com slash theafficionados. Um, if you have anything to donate, we would really uh, appreciate it because these sound close hosting things are expensive. Money. Give them money, people. <laughs> help, help. Brittany, you, got, you need to do that Parks and Rec moment with Mona Lisa. Money, money please. <laughs> money, please. Um, you can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey, that's R-O-B-Y-N-E-J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, pretty much everywhere. You can follow me at Britannia, which is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-A, with an underscore at the end. Sarah and Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you, you for, for having, having me. Yes, where can we find you guys on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at some other metal, all one word. And you can find me on Twitter at HeyZambonyGuy. Um, my MySpace. Oh nope, nope. This is <gasps> 1997. Oh, oh my god! Oh, nope. You can person. find me just on Twitter at HeyZambonyGuy. No, yeah, no. Let's check out your MySpace. Does it exist? <laughs> What's in it? Oh god, I don't even know what the hell was on my MySpace. All god, over, so. is MySpace even up anymore? I don't yeah, think they yanked so. that. No, Justin Timberlake bought it and like rehauled it, and I think it's oh, still. Oh snap! Just, really? Yeah. No. You can see how much attention I pay to Justin Timberlake. You, and then add me on MSN Messenger while you're at it too. <laughs> oh hell yeah! I had MSN Messenger. What was my oh what was my username though? Oh Soccer Champ Thirty. Yes. Wow. Wow. So, ladies. I yeah. think mine might have been Vanilla Cream Sixteen though. So. <laughs> I truly feel so fortunate about all my emails because my mom helped me make my first one, so it wasn't embarrassing. <laughs> That's okay. You made up for it by being embarrassing in other ways. You guys are awesome. You love each other so much. You can't wait to be roommates. <laughs> oh my god, we're so excited. So Robin's like twenty four seven roasting. Yeah, until Robin like snaps and kills me. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Hey, I will understand. I, I got money on you though, Brittany. You're scrappy. Thank you. Our next episode is an interview with Andrea. Wait, what's her last name? Andrea Gabriel. Our next interview is with Andrea Gabriel, and that will be available April 9th. She plays Nadia, and we are very excited. It's not going to be spoiler-free, though. It's not going to be spoiler-free. Like, the first question is like, tell us about the literal series finale. (laughs) So, um, definitely don't... Don't listen to that if you're not uh, caught up on the whole series. And um, after that, we will be releasing every Monday uh, our spoiler sections uh, yes. for the whole season. In I'm thinking like two to three hour pieces. So this will be stuff that you have heard before if you have listened to the full podcast already. But for the people who are uh, coming back later, that's what uh, that'll be available for you. Yeah. And um, Sarah, are you aware that you are our spoiler segment song? Oh my. Seriously, did you really make it me? So we have a podcast. Oh god, dude, it's literally been like that for like twenty plus episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm so behind, you guys. I haven't listened to any podcasts lately. Okay, now I have to go back and listen. Oh, this is gonna be a fun and embarrassing experience for you. That works. I honestly, like, as much as I'm embarrassed, I'm also mad touched. So thank you, ladies. 
Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. Spoilers, spoilers, gonna talk spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers, gonna talk spoilers. <laughs> oh, I'm a musical genius. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the spoilers section. Finally. Yay. Let's talk so, about uh, Ben. Yeah, what's yes. Ben up to? Oh my god, I, all I, let's talk about Ben. I think he's just creeping. Honestly. He's just sitting there waiting for book club to start. Exactly, Stalking except Juliet. he got kicked out, unfortunately. Because he's a creep. Basically, he's like sending Ethan and Goodwin places and then like I, stalking yeah, Juliet. them and being like, oh no, they died. I think like... I think originally Ben's plan is pretty clearly a sort of non-interventionism at the first point. Like, he's... Oh, yeah, he just wants to watch. Like, they're very careful not to expose that they're even there for quite a while. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's what Ben's doing is he's, like, chilling, he's watching whatever feeds he has, and he's waiting for updates from Ethan and Goodwin. Yeah, like, doesn't he say, don't get involved? Yeah. 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 Well, it's like my my thing that I enjoy thinking about, even though it's not overly realistic, is that whenever he gets bored, he just releases a smoke monster to mess with Locke. <laughs> ah! Even though the, obviously, like the man in black does whatever the hell he yeah, wants, I enjoy thinking that like Ben is watching Locke and going, "You fool." I have a question. When when Rousseau finds out that they're coming for the boy, like, do you think they were planning on coming for the boy ever since like Ethan saw him and Ethan decided they should come, or like, how did they know about? about Walt. I'm I'm going to yeah. assume especially since they're spy with our like our main people and not the Tailies is gone so much faster. I always kind of assumed that they had to do some at a distance spying. Yeah. And that it oh, took yeah. them longer to figure out that Walt was the one they would sh- should take because they didn't have an inside person to give them as much information about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with enough observation, it would be reasonably, like, you could kind of figure it out, but... Because now I need to check to see if Ethan died or Goodwin died first. I have a feeling I can't it was remember. Ethan, but I'm going to go check. Oh, I have something that's a spoiler that I can say that I actually... I So Russo tells them at first that she's, like, never seen anybody. And I couldn't decide yeah. if that was a retcon. But I realized it actually makes perfect sense she would need to lie to them. Because the only time she saw them was when they were taking Alex. And since she's not acknowledging who Alex is, and she's not willing to open that can of worms, she has to lie to them. Otherwise, she has to explain how and why, and she has no details. And, like, God love Rousseau, but she's so, like, addled that I don't think she's up to really lying in any way but avoidance or just like no i've never seen them like she's not yeah. creating stories here i feel like also, she's... guess what what guess what? what what goodwin died two days before ethan mm. and yet everyone was still like yeah ben should still be in charge <laughs> well ben he he specifically choices. sent goodwin because goodwin was having an affair with Juliet. oh yeah he yeah was, he wanted jealous. goodwin to die yeah, yeah. He was I don't know weird. what his deal with Ethan was, though, because Ethan and he were like buds. Ethan probably irritated him once, and he was done. Uh, I always, I kind of wonder if he sent, he sent Goodwin, because we know that, like, because there's, with the Tailey's camp, they're at a less 
hospitable place. Like, they're yes. more out in the boonies. And it seemed like uh, our our main heroes are closer a little bit. Like, there seems to be mm-hmm. a longer distance between Anna Lucia's people and Ben than Ben and our people. Yeah, so right. I'm going to assume he sends Ethan to the closer camp because he trusts Ethan and he likes Ethan. Mm. And he sends Goodwin out to the boonies to stay with them. Because Ethan seems to come and go. Like, Ethan doesn't seem to be sleeping right. on the beach, really. He just kind of disappears. Shows up every once in a while and then leaves. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. there during the day, but... Well, and, he's, and he's hoping that Goodwin's going to get caught and die because he... That's what I'm thinking is... Especially because Goodwin doesn't get to go back and forth like Ethan does. So I kind of assume that he sent Goodwin to the easier... Like, if you were going to assume someone was going to get caught, it's the guy who has no backup, who is stuck out on the ass end of the island. So yeah. I would assume that was more banishment. And then once he died, he was kind of like, eh, well, wasn't going to cry about it. I mean, um, does Ben cry about anything, though? Yeah, true. Well, eventually. <laughs> yeah, I was Maybe when his daughter gets shot in the head in front of him. Okay, uh, well, okay. you know what? I was yeah. pretending that that didn't happen. Thanks so much. That was I... one of those things that happened on the show that I was like, did they really actually just do this? No, right? Like, I'm, yep, I'm, I'm, sure I'm glad that they never actually showed it, but oh, I was yeah. kind of like, yeah. holy shit, like, you guys actually, holy crap. And it's lost no power at all. Watching and, that episode again is yeah. always, like, getting socked right in the gut, no matter how yeah. many times you see it. I remember watching an interview with Michael Emerson where he he talked about how that death shows you the actual true terror that is Kimi and that Kimi will always actually be more dangerous than Ben because yep. Ben is tempered by the fact that even though his moral compass doesn't point north, he has one. And it's also like right. Ben Ben is ruthless, but in a highly logical way. Yeah. Like he yeah. doesn't kill people if killing people isn't the exact thing to do. Yeah. Kimi's like I don't need to kill Alex here. There are other things I could do, but I feel like this is the... I'm just going to do it because it'll get a reaction from you and whatever. You pissed me off. Like, the idea that he could use Alex as a bargaining chip is probably way smarter. Keep the daughter around. You can get stuff out of Ben with her. Like, if you're going to kidnap Ben, keep the daughter, torture her, so you can keep Ben's cooperation. Like, if I'm Kimi... That's the smart plan, but I think Kimi too is terrifying because he's so he's, a he's not methodical like Ben. He's no. not thoughtful like Ben. He will do something in the moment because it yeah. feels right to do. Well, Ben will get in your psyche and make you well, will twist your head so much. And I didn't think they were gonna kill her. I one thousand percent thought, oh no, they'll never do this. Yeah. yeah, Ben doesn't need to kill people because Ben can get in your head and make mm-hmm. you do things without persuasion oh yeah like and i think what keeney was thinking was like okay how the hell am i gonna ever get this guy to convince me i'm just gonna shoot his kid and that's yeah. gonna show him that's how so he'll I know am. i'm serious yeah and i exactly. think it's also like keeney's mad like he's been put through bullshit with these people they're jerking him around they're making his day hard like from Kimi's <laughs> perspective, he's just trying to do... He's a sociopath trying to do his job, and these people are just not making it easy. So, all right, I'll make it simple for you. Yep. You know? Shot your daughter in the head. Think you should do what I th- say you do now? 
So there's there's a ruthlessness to it, but it's a it's such a momentary it's like lashing out ruthlessness. There's yeah. no further thought like down the road Alex would be more helpful as a as a hostage as a bargaining chip than I mean hell cut off her hand yeah. strap her down and slice off her hand while Ben watches you know like you can do things that aren't shooting her in the head like that sounds terrible and I sound very enthusiastic yeah, I was like, yeah. Sarah, it, I'm but, really scared of you now <laughs> but you know what I mean like if I'm a villain like the if you're if? splitting the difference between Ben and Kimi, you end up with the kind of villain who would strap Alex down and torture her to draw Ben out. But Kimi's Kimi doesn't think towards the future, and Ben doesn't like that level of sheer brutality. So it's like well, I don't think he can see that coming from Kimi yeah. because it's not the smartest move. And in, Ben is always thinking about life almost like chess, I think. Yeah, well, Ben's playing chess and Kimi's shooting the board. And he expects other people to be rational chess players, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for him, he's thinking, well, if I'm saying to him, you won't get me out even if you shoot her, and then he shoots her, I have no reason to go out anyway. That would be a really, really stupid thing to do. You've just killed my incentive, quite literally. But for someone like Kimi, he's brutal, and it's effect- It's a quick way in the moment to make a point. Yeah. Kimi's so um, terrible. I love that actor. He's having so much fun being terrible. Yeah, there's, like, there's something to be said about villains who are just straight-up villains. Like, I hate yeah. Kimi. He's the worst. And it's nice to hate someone. But I'm having so much fun with the performance because the actor exactly. is, like, chewing every bit of scenery he can exactly. get and having fun with it. And it, that's a joy to watch. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, at least he makes good eggs. <laughs> He's such a jerk. I just love that actor. <laughs> Well, it's that bit of that, he kind of has, like, a list thing that he does with his with his lip, too, mm-hmm. that I noticed, and it's yeah, just, he like... he, like, curls his lip a little. A, like a sneer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's the little shit where it's just, like, you're... That just makes him just to be a, such a big dick. You know what <laughs> I mean? Yeah. There is nothing about Kimi that is likable. No. There is absolutely nothing redeeming about him. Not one feature... No, and he makes and, good eggs. He makes good eggs, but okay, but like, <laughs> Robin's like, if we don't bring up the eggs, I don't know if the eggs are like on the scale. They would have to be the best eggs I would ever have for it to be uh, anything like even redeeming. I don't. But like what it eggs, shows you so. is that the writers did him right. Like they oh, wrote yeah. him exactly the way that he was supposed to be. A dick that didn't think about anything except for. I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to hurt you so you listen to me, and what's the worst thing I can do? Boom, I'm going to shoot your daughter in the head. Like where like where Ben would have thought it out and processed it for weeks and months on end, how to like torture a person out or screw oh, with yeah. their psyche, yeah. where he's just like, done. It's also, and there's something and, that's fun about writing someone like that. Like sometimes oh, yeah. just you want to write the mustache-twirling villain. And it's also like, Kimi, he makes sense to me in a way where it's like, I don't feel like they have... They've made him a cardboard cutout because there are Kimis in the world. There oh, yeah. are people who just are awful and enjoy being awful. But also, especially in terms of him being ex-Special Forces and having uh, experience in Black Ops, like, 
just speaking in terms of like real life military, the American military basically likes to break its soldiers via social conditioning because fun fact, uh, before uh, the Korean War, uh, the U.S. Army tested their snipers and even their best snipers who had like 99% effectiveness on the range were hitting about half their targets in the field because go figure, human beings don't really like to murder each other. Like, Most people, if they have to look down the barrel of a gun and shoot somebody else, experience some level of anxiety or distaste. So what they do in basic training is they depersonalize people. They teach them to dehumanize enemies, to kill, and then they send them out into a war zone where it's boring and nothing happens and it's high stress and then everything happens. And maybe people cry. And then it's boring and it's high stress. So it's, we essentially break our armed forces and then we send them home and don't support them. So a guy like Kimi, I mean, clearly the army doesn't create Kimis. Like to be Kimi, you had to be yeah, that kind be of person already. as a child. Yeah. But I can see how somebody like Kimi is like almost in some ways like, uh, I don't know if you guys know about bl- the Blackwater group and all the problems that we had with them. Yeah, g- this is Sarah bringing it serious again, but Blackwater was a mercenary group that uh, tortured and murdered Iraq- uh, Iraqi and, I believe, Afghani citizens. And part of it was they were ex-special forces. They had been assigned to work in these sort of mercenary groups, and they got bored. And they had been trained to brutalize. So there's this thing of certain people, when you give them power and the ability to do harm, will be will take an intrinsic capability that might never have shown up in that way. Like, in some ways, I feel like Kimi is kind of Randy. <laughs> if you give Randy a bunch of ammo and no consequences. What a, what a strange character connection. But do you know what I mean? Like, there's that level of, like, Randy is terrible. And he enjoys making other people around him feel terrible. And Kimi has that same aspect of, like, he's getting off on it. He is really enjoying that these people are terrified. Who the hell is Randy? Randy uh, was uh, Hurley I, and Locke's boss. The awful oh, boss you. guy. Oh, thank God. I was Do you see what I mean? What Randy are you guys talking about? Yeah, see what I mean? Like, awful show? boss dude is like, I mean, yes, there's a difference between what Randy does to Locke and what Kimi does to Alex, but there is that core of like, I enjoy my power over you. I enjoy that I can hurt you. And, you know, it's the difference between I'm just making you feel like garbage and I'm murdering your daughter in the face. (laughs) That was a freaking trip for a minute there. I was like, Randy. Uh, Who's Randy? I was like, is this another Battlestar thing? I'm so out of the loop. No, I just made up this character. I was there. I was there. I'm like, like, there's no Randy in Battlestar. (laughs) Okay. See, 
Now all I heard that in was that there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. There's no Randy in Battlestar. And I'm thinking Randy from Trailer Park Boys would never do anything like that. That's no <laughs> Vandy. And then I I went to Randy from Bob's Burgers, and then I was like, no, I, this oh, can't God. be right now. I was like, Candy Randy would never do this. I'm so okay. behind on Bob's Burgers. <gasps> oh my God, it's all it's all on Canadian Netflix now. It is such a damn good show. I, that's all I have to say before we go show. into it, our rant on that. No, yeah. I, I yeah, I'm I'm with you. Same. It is like one of my favorite shows of all time. Agreed. Yep. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's almost tomorrow. Yeah, I know. Um, and I haven't so eaten. I feel like the when we're actually like doing the episodes, a lot of the time we'll say we'll talk about what the man in black is thinking and we'll say like, was it the island who did this? But every time we say the island, we're talking about Not the man. Yeah. You know so, what I really um, like? Is, yeah. Um, I mean, especially now that we know that there's some sort of level of, like, both the man in black and Jacob can, I guess, I don't know how to put this, but, like, read people or whatever, Mm -hmm. or they feel they can. That moment in the jungle where Locke stares down the smoke monster and you don't know, when you don't know it's the man in black, it feels like a triumphant moment for Locke. And I feel like now, once you know it's the man in black, all I can think is that is the moment where he's like, oh, this is the one. He wants it bad, and I can get him to do anything. Yep. I feel Mm -hmm. like that's why Locke doesn't die. That's the moment where the man in black is like, this is my ticket. He's the one. So what would you say is the difference between when that happens to Locke and when that happens to Echo? Well, he... If, I think honestly, Echo would wouldn't have done it. I don't think mm. Echo would have killed Ben. I no, think he oh, would no, have. Yeah. I think that's basically what it was: is Echo could not be manipulated like Locke could be manipulated. So the Man in Black kills Locke or kills Echo because he will he's not, not be used. Yeah, he's Echo not even like Locke. That Echo wouldn't kill Jacob. You mean? Yeah, I think Echo wouldn't okay. have killed Jacob. Right. And I think that's why... And also there's other stuff, and also the actor wanted off the show and whatever. I was yeah. going to say, do you guys think that maybe they were going to go almost in that direction until the actor said, I want off, I gotta get I, out of Hawaii? I feel like there was more that had to be coming. Yeah, Joe said they had, like, full-on season six plans for Echo. Yeah, and I've, I've heard that all along, was that they that his development would have been a lot oh, more yeah. if he wouldn't have just... Quick. I feel like, like Locke and Echo were meant to almost have kind of like a Jacob Man in Black sort right. of early vibe. Because yeah. they're building up that the two of them have this connection and have this passion about the island. And then Echo dies, so it never goes yeah. anywhere. But Wait, he wanted to leave Hawaii? That's one thing that I read. That, that yeah. Said- oh. yeah, the actor wanted to off the show, and I can't... I can't remember why. Is that man insane? Yeah, Maybe. basically that he told them, like, I gotta get out of here. I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Oh, Weird. here's what. Yeah, he wanted off. Whereas, like, some of the others loved Hawaii so much they moved there and stayed yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. And, like, my, who the hell leaves, like, a hit show, like, especially, like, when, like, season yeah. two is really starting to ramp up. And if and if he knew that they had plans for his character, you would have thought that they would have told him that, too. Weird choice. Yeah. Um... Let's talk about Boone. Yeah. Where do we see... Uh, must we? Yeah. 
what like where I we see Boone coming back all the time and it's always like kind of a treat because Boone was gone for such a long time that you're like oh there he is my favorite Boone moment after he's passed away is like season six episode one LAX the part that really gets me is when Boone is talking to Locke and is saying if this thing goes down I'm sticking with you oh Echo's that moment about kills that scene. me. That's Sorry, awesome. I just googled Echo's actor. His parents died. Oh. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, this I is what that's that. what uh, Google is telling me is that his parents died, and he oh, God wanted bless him then. to deal with it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was like, why would you want to get off Hawaii? But if your parents died, yeah, you'd want to go. I've never heard that. All I heard was that he. Yeah, was I had quit. never heard that either. No, I knew he wanted off, but I had never heard why. Oh, that just broke my heart. No, right? Isn't that sad? Oh, no wonder. yeah. Um, both of his parents passed away, and he wanted to go back home to the UK. Good for him. Well, yeah, no, that's straight yeah. up, like, and good for the show for respecting him and being like, this is a moment where you clearly need to go deal with your, your family and help your emotions. Like, good for them for letting him go. Well, luckily this show wasn't run by Joss Whedon, so you don't have to ask for these things. Not that we're talking about Cordelia right now, or I'll spend another hour. Literally, I never even watched Buffy, and even I know the story of how Joss All I can say is when you kill off your mo- one of your most beloved characters after giving her a literal demon baby because you're mad that your lead actress got pregnant, you might be a man-child. Not a good look. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. Boone. So Boone. So Boone. I have nothing to say about Boone. Boone comes back in visions. Stop I wish he would. In some flashbacks. I. Because he he comes back in um the other what is it uh what's it the other forty seven days is that what the episode the other forty eight yeah forty eight days it's only his it's only his voice over the the radio that Bernard's talking on. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know there's another scene where he actually where they actually comes in and he's like. He's like, I got pens, I got pens, I got pens. Where it's I like think... a flashback to the pilot or something. Oh, it's expose, I think. Expose, expose I think. and I love yeah. that. It, it's it's just a small back or small callback stuff that I just love. Yeah. That that we get to see throughout the whole show. That it, I don't know. I'm one of those easy people. Like, show me something that I watched once and I'm like, ah. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm simple. Ironically, I kind of feel, especially like once you've. I've seen the series series as a whole. I always wondered if it was like a function of not being able to find stuff for Shannon and Boone to do, and that's why they died. But I honestly think, especially after watching the whole thing and having processed it, it feels instinctively more like they're kind of our token lead red shirts in a way. They're Ned Stark. Mm. Because Boone and Shannon don't really plug into the story. Like, their brushes up against the Big Island plot have to do with, like, Shannon translating the message for other people. And then she doesn't go back to it. And Boone is helping Locke. Well, sometimes you don't realize that those characters don't fit in until you've, you know, you've been writing for a while and you're like, oh, crap. Yeah, so it could go either way. It could go either way, but I honestly think if I would honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if I found out that they built those two up so that they could kill off leads so that the things would matter and we would feel it without killing off someone like, say, John Locke, who that means you have to create a whole new story. He's arguably the most interesting character. 
yeah. to, to like all the plot stuff Locke meant was meant to do would have to be shifted. Whereas with yeah. Shannon or Boone, they don't have an intimate connection to the like even someone like Claire, who is less involved personally in the mystery, has Aaron. Yeah, but yeah. Boone and Shannon have no intimate ties to the inner core of the mystery. So Except I wouldn't Saeed. be shocked if they were actually kind of designed to die off early. Because you right. can kill them and have an emotional blow without it being a plot blow that you need to scramble to catch up on. Like something with Walt or Echo where the changes clearly set them off a little and they had to figure out how to re- rejigger and recalibrate. I mean, plus writer's strike, you just, this show ran with the punches. Oh, the poor writer's strike, man. Like, this show did a lot when they were throwing curveballs in. Oh, yeah. In the end, I think they wound up benefiting from it. No, and honestly, oh like, people complain about the middle seasons, which is totally fair. I complain about them, too. But there's a level to which, I mean, as a writer, I can't help but be on their side for a lot of it. Yeah. Because the network, you know, the network was like, we're not giving you an end date. You're popular, you make money, you'll keep going until we decide you're not going anymore. How do you know when to pull a plot trigger? How do you know, like, to do something you can't go back from? So you end up with a lot of wheel spinning. And some of it's creative and works, and some of it is Nikki and Paolo. But I think... Hey! Uh-oh! Hey! You've made... I like Expose. I gotta defend that. Oh, I love Expose! I think it's hilarious. And I actually like both those actors quite a lot. But just as yeah. characters, they don't work. Which is, I, I actually, oh, right. speaking of spoilers, I think this is something they did really, really well as a form of sophisticated wheel spinning, is when the network wouldn't give them a timeline, so they didn't know what plot triggers to pull, they started experimenting with format. and yeah. And taking up space in a way that is wheel spinning. Yeah, it's but it doesn't feel as obvious because you're so interested. And, like, Nikki and Paolo is an example of how that didn't work. You can't go back and insert them into all these scenes and make us be like, yeah, yeah they're the most important characters on the show. Expose <laughs> is great if you watch it as a comedy. Yeah, exactly. No, it's yeah. funny. <laughs> it is really a funny episode. I think one of the best things that the writers ever did for, or I guess the network ever did for Lost, was giving it an end date. Oh, yeah. totally. You know, you, you have yeah. to build to that. Like, my God, like, I, I know to go back to it, but if they made The Walking Dead and said next year's the last year, hell, more people would watch it. Oh, yeah. Because something to build up to it. Yeah, it like, would have a purpose. Would, would, would we have watched 30 seasons of Lost? Probably not. No. We would have got well, Robin sick would. and tired yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It's also, like, just in terms of, like, on a basic structure scale, if you're talking about your average storyline structure as the, quote, roller coaster model, the problem with not having a deadline is you need to hit all these points along the roller coaster up to climax and then, you know, the downward shift again. And if you don't know how long you're going to go and you hit the midpoint of your story, I don't know, a quarter of the way in... Now your hands are tied and you're kind of screwed. Oh, fun fact about this. Uh, this is, I can't remember if this, which part of Darleton said this, but it was from an interview with both of them. Did you they, just combine Damien and Carlton's name? Oh, you've never heard them called Darleton? That I've just, no, that threw me all the way no, back to I love 2008. It. Oh, fair, and yeah, just like, people called them, 
Straight up yeah. Google Darleton. That was yeah. a thing. They did, and if they if they were running them now, people would probably call them daddy. Oh. <laughs> tell I me have wrong. such awkward feelings about people calling <laughs> celebrities but daddy. Tell Don't me, do tell it. me I'm wrong. No, they would. They would. Thank you. But no, uh, one of them said we put Kate and Sawyer in cages in season two as a passive aggressive swipe at the network. Because yep. we felt like we were in cages as writers, and we didn't know. Because, you know, they had such a good plot outline when they started Lost. They knew exactly where they wanted to go. And, like, the ending was already there. Like, the basic structure of the arc was down. So it, it ends up in this place of, like, you know, they don't know what to do. So, okay, let's stick Sawyer and Kate in cages for, like, six episodes and just yeah. eat up some time that way. But I, I do love that that was, like, their thing of, like, we are trapped in a cage. Ah, screw it. Just put them in cages. Just put them in cages. We'll make it work. And that actually wound up being one of the most iconic Lost plot hmm. points. It yeah. totally did work. I love like, season three. I have to say, like, for all the, you know, there are places to nitpick and there are places they don't do things right, because obviously there are, but especially in terms of, like, the way in which casting creates, you know, unforeseen complications or exits you didn't plan on, you have to, re you know, recalibrate, lost thought on its feet far better than like most of the shows I can think of. They were always yeah. very good at maybe not immediately recovering their feet, but whenever they stumbled because they hit a wall that wasn't of their own making, they would get it back together. Which was very like as writers, like all the props in the world to them. Especially yeah. when you have a plan in your head and somebody won't let you do it. Like that's it is hard to, like, work around things you have already set down, you know, in stone. Let's talk about Desmond. <laughs> I was literally looking at a picture of Desmond right now. <gasps> he's hanging out in the hatch. I mean, right now he's just kind of doing his morning routine. and uh, He's using his exercise bike. Making a smoothie. Yeah. It's cute that, like, it's literally night outside, but he's like, it's morning. <laughs> Um, doing a workout, you know, entering some numbers, and he's like, wait a second. I want to know, what did you guys think the first time you watched that? Did you automatically go, that's the hatch? I literally wish I could remember. I wish I could remember. <sighs> I wish I had written, like, extensive journals on how I felt the first time I was watching, but I, I cannot. I thought it was a new character, like, on the mainland. I remember, yeah, I remember I thinking that. Because, like, when they show you, I think he's, like, sitting down, like, when he's starting to eat, and it's light outside, but it's just, like, fake light in behind him, so he doesn't think that he's in a bloody cave for his entire life. Yeah. But, yeah, I didn't, I did not think that he was in the hatch until the bomb, like, until the explosion, and all of a sudden everything shook, I was like, oh, holy shit, that's what's in there, oh my god. Exactly. Yeah. I, so good. I feel like the first time I saw it, my first thought was, is this another flashback? Especially because everything in the yeah. bunker is so very 70s. Yeah. Except for that washer and dryer. That, like, my first thought was, like, yep. is yep. this a flashback or <laughs> is this not? Like, I wasn't sure, but I remember thinking to myself, gosh, everything's so 70s. Like, everything in here. Mm -hmm. 
I like how, and that's another good mislead, too, because until that happens, there's really no indication for you at all that this is absolutely the same timeline, the same place. That's true. The only thing that kind of made me go, what the hell is this, when he, like, injects himself, right? Mm -hmm. Then I was kind of like, oh, is this, like, is this where this is going? And then, like, then the explosion and all that. Yeah. I could see oh. how you could get 70s there, too, because, like, you know, even Desmond's hair is, like, that longer, shaggier Oh, thing. yeah. So yeah. you really do think, like, oh, okay, well, this is a flashback. And even the music he's playing. Yeah. You know, that's not that's not the music of someone who is... And he's got a friggin' record player, too. No one Iconic. listens to the Mamas and the Papas now, I hate to say. I, I Exa- do. I do, except I only listen to that one song. Fun fact... I have that song on my phone. Same. This is, I was a hipster before hipsters existed. Until I was in, like, fifth or sixth grade, I refused to listen to any music that was made before about, ni- or made after about 1978. Like, I literally was a little old lady who was like, mm, I don't listen to modern music, I listen to the classics. Uh, and then I got into the Backstreet Boys, so that changed. Uh, <laughs> oh, you fell from your your pedestal so hard. Oh yeah, I went from hipster to mad trashy right away, which I think sums up like who yeah. I am as That's a person. That's your like whole personality. Yeah, hipster to mad trashy in a ten seconds. But flat. I. I- I say that with love. No, I feel yeah. it, man. I I feel the yeah. love. Okay, guys. Once again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. <laughs> thank you for having yeah. us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, sorry, I made it another three-hour-long one again. <laughs> See you guys next season. But and let's be real, we could have gone longer if Robin wasn't. I love how like Robin has to be the den mom whenever I am on this podcast, and she's like, "Come on, guys, come on." Come on, let's go. Robin has to do that when it's the two of us, too, because Uh I would just talk. You can follow me personally on (laughs) six hours at Robin E. Jeffrey, that's R O B Y N E J E F F R E Y, pretty much everywhere. And you can follow me at at Britan. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) You know my Twitter, I said it already. And And you can follow at the Aficionados on a bunch of places, but mostly Twitter. Yeah. And I'm still and, Sarah, and you can still follow me at some other metal. And I'm Scott, and you can follow me at Hey Zamboni Guy. This is my Yay. favorite username, on Twitter, by the way. And, and for the love of God, people, give them, hook them up with Patreon. Give them yes, a dollar. Give them all the money. <laughs> it, Thank give you. them something. It's nothing. You never notice it. Help They're them so out. They're so cool, and they spend so much time doing this, and we should all appreciate them. Guys, that's so nice. Thank you. Thank like you. literally, it's like one dollar. Find the change on the ground. Money, Don't buy yourself a Starbucks once a month and give it to them. <laughs> right? Oh my god, this is so nice. Thank you. Our Patreon is Patreon.com/slash/TheAfficionados. Okay, love you. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs> All right. Time to break out the big guns. No, 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 no. I knew that I would now. No, 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 no. I feel good. No, 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 no. I knew that I would now. So good. So good. I got you. Bum, 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 bum. Dude, that's all I got.